here it comes again, lunch. Will it be the same old, same old? Or are you ready to take a vacation from the ordinary with the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub at Firehouse Subs? Freshly sliced smoked turkey breast, craveably sweet mustard sauce, and a hint of Caribbean seasoning. Just $5.55 for a medium. Save time. Order the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub on the Firehouse Subs app. Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs. Save more lives. Participating locations, limited time only, plus tax. Prices may vary for delivery. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Uh, this is John here for episode 16, and our guest this week is coming to us. He is the king of banter, as heard on, was it BBC Radio or BBC Television? Oh my god, you hacked it up already. Uh, BBC Radio. It is an internationally acclaimed broadcast <laughs> journalist, as heard on BBC Radio. Okay, so I got, I got the radio right. There you go. Yeah. From one half of the Voices of Wrestling flagship, Mr. Joe Lanza. Joe, first of all, it's great to have you on here. We, this is pretty much like for, preordained the moment I have Rich on. It's like once you have Rich on, it's like, well, why if, if I don't bring on Joe, there'll be rumors starting like, well, Joe won't go on Omakaze. So there's That's, some kind of there's some heat there. So obviously we got to we had to complete the complete the duo here. There's always heat but, between me and Rich. Somehow it survives. <laughs> um. But yeah, I mean, not the first time we've been on a podcast together, though, because you did do Open the Voice, Kate, last year. Um, uh, and, I, and I will note that I did pop the biggest rating for Open the Voice, Kate, of all time, a record which still stands to this day. So I'm looking forward to popping the biggest Omakase rating uh, as well with my appearance here. So now you have to try to beat Rich's number because Rich did, Rich did beat uh, the first episode finally. So Rich is now, Rich is currently uh, in possession of the, the, the highest rated episode of Omakase. So. 
that you know, he had a, I, got, I gotta be honest. Um, he had a stronger topic. The hall of fame's a draw, <laughs> man. We don't even have a topic. We're just, uh, <laughs> bu- we're bullshitting for three hours. So I'm at, I'm at a little bit of a handicap here, but, uh, we're bullshitting for two hours. I try to keep these to two hours. I uh, see. I'm in three hour mode. Uh, I'm in three okay. hour mode. I'm used to doing three hour podcasts. You got to forgive me. You yeah. Know, I, just, I try to, I, I, tr- three hours I, long. I aim for two hours. And then if it goes all like, like JR and I last week did went two hours and 45 minutes. I try not to do that. But yeah. first, first, first of all, the girlfriend gets mad at me. That's the biggest one. Understandable, trust and, me. And second of all, the you know I don't know the two-hour podcast to me when I listen back is easier to get through than a three-hour podcast. It's okay with you guys at the flagship because you have so many topics usually, but like you know I don't I don't need to spend forty minutes talking about WWE. So you know I got it. What, I what a week though to talk about WWE. <laughs> That's gonna be fun on the flagship. Let's talk about Kane squashing Finn Balor. Oh, there's no question we're leading off with Kane and we're leading off with Asuka and, and the terrible way they're handling her. Um, but, uh, but, but, you know, the thing about the three-hour flagships is, you know, we do that knowing full well that very few, a, a, a small percentage of people are going to listen to the whole thing. Your hardcores are going to listen to the whole thing every week. But the beauty of a podcast is you can skip around. You don't want to hear about New Japan, you skip over it. You don't want to hear about Dragon Gate, you skip over it. You don't want to hear mm-hmm. WWE, you skip over it. And we know that people do that. Um, you know, there's going to be your hardcores that do the whole thing. Um, you know, your your most vocal fans and, and things like that. But it, you know, I I think I think it's crazy to listen to us for three straight hours. I mean, I think that's insane. So <laughs> I, 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 I do I do it actually, but usually I see I don't do the skip around thing. I almost I almost never do that. I don't. I, I try to think if I ever skipped. The only thing I ever skipped on podcasts was when I when I still listen to the Observer, I would skip the MMA stuff every single time. Right. But but like as far as like you guys, I just don't always get through it every week. Like some weeks I get through it, some weeks I don't. But I never I never actually like skip anything. Oh, I see. So you'll be two hours and ten minutes in through your you know various uh, commutes. And yeah. then the new show will drop, and you'll just blow off the last fifty minutes of the previous. Yeah, week. that that happens to me a lot, actually. Yeah. Yeah. So, and or I listen, or I, like I got really one one commute. I got really deep down a YouTube hole, or one commute I was just listening to a lot of music or something, so I just didn't get through it. But I really want to hear this Kane shit this week, though. That'll be that'll be fun. I can't. I <laughs> this isn't the topic, but holy shit, <laughs> that TLC made event. <laughs> it's like, I got to tell you, I got to be honest about the TLC main event. Look, I'm not going to sit here and tell you it was some kind of classic pro wrestling match, but in a vacuum, if you ignore uh, the the idea that they're pushing Kane again, I was perversely entertained by the whole, uh, you know, it, 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 it morphed from a wrestling match to like a Dolph Lundgren movie to like a B movie. It was, it, it was everything I hate about American professional wrestling. I don't know. I just really. No, you know, I, I think Rich said it best. It marked off every box of the WWE trope bingo. Like, yeah. you know, from from guys going through the barricade at ringside to someone doing a stretcher job and coming back to a vehicle of some type being worked in. In this case, a garbage truck because Vince McMahon loves his ambulances and his garbage trucks and his classic cars and his motorcycles. He always has to have vehicles involved somehow in these matches. Yeah. I mean, it just. It just it just ticked every box. It just reached a point to me where it became such a ridiculous spectacle that I just enjoyed it for what it was. You know what I mean? It just, it crossed that line for me into fun bad. I don't know. I mean, it, was, it definitely was funny bad. Like I'm not going to sit here and argue that it wasn't funny bad. Like I, 
I enjoyed it on the same level that I enjoyed a lot of the Russo TNA years and stuff. But then when you sit there and like, well, this is the fucking industry leader. This is the only fucking wrestling company like on the fucking planet to a lot of people. To mo to, to to like ninety percent of the people who are out there, there's the only fucking wrestling promotion on the planet. So I I don't know. Like I, when I when like when I I can't get past the idea that like that it fucking sucks that this is what represents professional wrestling in the world. I, that makes me an, a a fucking nerd, you know, a, a dork that cares too much. I, I guess that's fine, but like I I really like like if this was if this was in CZW, I saw somebody else tweet this. I I can't remember who it was. Like this would be like this would have been great. But to have it in WWE, like the main event of a pay per view, it's just like I don't, I don't want to. Like I just want to see people wrestle. I just want to see two guys get in a ring and fight, have a pretend fight, and somebody win and somebody lose, and then somebody gets like title match. And like I don't need people getting thrown in a trash compactors. That's not with, what I'm with, here with. With wacky sound effects. I just it's not what I'm here for. I don't know. I mean, Did like you enjoy the wacky sound effects with bronze bones crunching. I didn't, I didn't even I didn't even notice it at first. I don't know. But yeah, I'm sure that I'm sure that's true. That's and what was funny is they only had like three or four seconds of wacky sound effects queued up, so they had to like put it on a loop because the spot took like twelve seconds. So you heard the same wacky sound effects looped three yeah. times. I don't know. I, I, I just I don't know, man. I, I really uh it's really not what I want out of my professional wrestling, but I, I get it that people had a good time with it and Twitter was fun to read. I mean, I, I like I always say this now, like I have more fun reading Twitter during WWE than I do like actually watching it. Like like just reading Twitter during the cane squash on Raw. Like I didn't even put on Raw. I just read Twitter during the cane squash and I read Twitter during that final angle where apparently every baby face on SmackDown turned heel at once. So like yes. just, just reading Twitter is the fun part of following you know, WWE now. In all honesty, Twitter has become a pretty big part of the pro wrestling viewing experience. It's communal. Everybody watches together. Now, you know, you don't have to wait to send a letter to Dave Meltzer to get your opinion across, which he may not print for three weeks to let everybody else know what you thought of something. We all know instantaneously. And we all sit there on Twitter while these shows are going on, whether it's new Japan or WWE or whatever. And we're spitting out our opinions and we're waiting for that person. Who's a frenemy who always disagrees with you to put out an opinion that you know is going to be the polar opposite of yours that you can get all worked up over and wonder why you don't have the person blocked, muted or unfollowed. And and that's just what we all do now. And it's, it, and you're right. I mean, it, it does, does enhance the viewing experience you probably wouldn't enjoy these shows on any level yeah. uh, being so vehemently opposed to what this company does but you find yourself perversely entertained by watching everybody else trash it yeah. so it does bring an entertainment <laughs> element to these shows that that we didn't have even five or, or ten years ago so um you know i would you know I, you always I, I don't know about you but i always wonder what would it have been like to have something like twitter during like what we're going to talk about today during the ECW days or during, yeah. you know, all Japan's glory period, uh, you know, which, you know, we think that people just universally approved of, of, of the all Japan booking then, but would there have been these contrarians like we see on Twitter oh, yeah. today, who yeah. would have bashed Baba incessantly for making Akiyama wait too long to pin this guy or waiting for Kobashi wait too long to beat this guy, you know? And, and the answer is like, you're saying it's an emphatic. Yes, of course there would have been, but it, you know, it, those voices just weren't heard then, or, you know, they were so few and far, but they didn't have an outlet. Yeah. Uh, now everyone has the outlet. So it is a much different way to consume wrestling and enjoy wrestling. Yeah. And, uh, you know, obviously, you know, you and I don't see eye to eye at every single wrestling take either, but um, there has to be like, 
there has to be an element of um there has to be an element of respect you know like you have to be able to respect somebody's opinion enough to be like well you know i might not see you know i might not think okada is the best in the world but i i understand why you or a lot of other people had that take so i can you know i can say you know i i, I enjoy him on different just not as much as you do but like some people you know just don't want to hear any opinions that just sent with theirs and it's just you know, you know it, it's funny I mean, how it's funny you bring that up it's funny how um for every hundred people that can have dissenting opinions from from mine, for instance, there's always there's only one or two that'll bother me, and 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 it's like you try to identify why does this person who disagrees with me bother me? Is it their personality? Is it the way they uh, put their opinion across? And 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 it's this weird thing because like you and I can disagree on certain things in wrestling, but I've never been bothered by your opinions. I've never been annoyed by, by John Carroll, you know, but it's like, there's other people who it just, I, I, I want to strangle them through the screen, just seeing their Twitter avatar come up and I, and look, and I'm very self-aware. Uh, there's You're one like that for me that I just, I just blocked actually. The other day. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> so I'm exactly. finding you guys a lot that I had to be yes, like, and and I, I think if that guy happens to listen to this, Buddy, because he, I saw, I saw his tweet afterwards, like from the Omakaze account, where he, I forget what he said, but it was something like, "Oh, you can always tell when someone isn't what kind of person they are when they block you when you're being polite." It's like there's really nothing wrong with this person. He really wasn't being an asshole or anything. It's just I really like every time I see that avatar now and I see that opinion, I just like there's something he's like the, the Vince apologist that annoys me the most, and I feel the need to reply every time. So it's like just to stop annoying myself. And to stop driving myself fucking crazy, I'm just gonna remove remove the temptation and to actually have to read any of your WWE takes and actually end up wanting to debate you because he seems like a sensible fellow. Like if I, if I read his fucking his Twitter feed, like the rest of it, like on politics, we agree more than you and I probably agree. Yeah, but like I just can't read his WWE takes. Yeah, yeah, and it, it, it's funny because. It's the same thing with with myself and Rich and your guest next week, you know, and, it's like, and, and then here's the thing. And, and, and John, here's the thing. I want to say for the record, it's a wonderful person. I can't. And, and, and that's the thing. Fantastic. One of the nicest people on Twitter to me. Anyway. We, and we have talked privately about this. It's not even that I think that it's a bad person. It's look, and then we, I've also said this to you privately too. It's okay to not get along with people. Yeah. It doesn't have to be abrasive it doesn't have to be mean-spirited we're it's it, you know it's human nature some people you're just not gonna jive with and like you're saying it's better just to part ways and not have to deal with each other anymore if you know that they're just gonna get under your skin you know and it's i have nothing against that person at all it's just for whatever reason we rub each other the wrong way so why bother why bother following each other why bother even looking at each other's opinions it, it, it's when it's going to cause undue strife it's like i know there's a lot of people who are going to listen to this show who do not like me you are going to get heat for having me on this show because yeah. you run in certain circles i can't stand me and look i'm okay with people not liking me it's 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 like i get it it's it's sometimes it's either they don't agree with your opinions they don't agree with the way you put your opinions across which i think is the case with me and i'm very self aware about that uh but but i've come to terms and come to grips with the idea that not everyone is going to like you when you're putting three hours of opinions out there every week when you're tweeting non-stop to build your brand and 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 it's okay it's okay that sometimes you don't get along with people or that people don't like you it's it's to me as long as they're not making things up or attributing quotes to me that i never made uh 
it's okay. They can trash me all they want. It's fine. Just don't make things up is all I ask. It's, it's just – keep it really, <laughs> What really uh, I, I know turned people off, Joe, is when you recently came out in support of full communism. That that's really what like here I am as a socialist and I'm like I take it far enough but but Joe Lanza full communism that really I think people here's off. the thing I think you're confusing <laughs> me with Aaron Taub who is <laughs> the biggest communist on Twitter that pinko let me tell you um and that and, and and you know that's the thing too I think what would surprise a lot of people is I get along with with you and I get along with the Aaron's uh, so well and and you know we all talk privately or whatever about politics or whatnot we don't see eye to eye on a lot of things but i think we do see eye to eye on more things than a lot of people want to realize or would like to realize because they'd like to paint me into this corner of being this whatever they think i am yeah, joe land is not a trump supporter everybody if that if that's what you think goes I, you know, behind closed doors you know here's the funny thing I, you know I'm, i wouldn't be shocked if there's people who think that I think there, I think there are actually, which is why. And it, and it's like I've never, you know, come out and said anything like that. I've never, you know, but it's like I'm sure that there's, I'm positive that there's people that think that. But you guys who know me know that couldn't be further from the truth. Um, I just don't wear that kind of stuff on my sleeve. Um, but yeah, it's like I get along with all of you guys uh, privately, and it's just, it's just like, uh, but you know, it's, it's again, all I can do is be myself on the air, give strong opinions, do well for the show, do well for the listener. And just as long as I'm not falsely attributed to things such as being a Trump supporter, <laughs> I'm okay with what people say. It's, it, it's fine as long as they're sticking to facts and things that actually came out of my mouth. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, it's a very polarized time and I get it to some degree, but you know, this, you know, you gotta, I mean, what, what divides a lot of people is, you know, the WWE stuff and the new Japan stuff. But, um, you know, yeah, you I don't know. know. What? I, think, they, I, I see less and less people. I'm gonna, I'm gonna rant now. If they listen to the oh. fucking show, you listen every week. We have buried New Japan for the last month on that show. Yeah. The booking, the Dry Destruction tour, everything. We we kill it. But it, it, it's almost this thing where. Uh, once you gain a reputation for something, it's impossible to kick that reputation. Yeah. If you really listen to what me and Rich say every week, it's very clear that we enjoy New Japan a lot. But to, but this idea that we're just you know blanket supporters of everything they do, I mean, if you if you, you listen to the show, it just does not support that whatsoever. That, that tag division, I know you're a big fan. Everybody everybody's a big fan of that tag division. Oh, we put it over constantly. Of course, we love all these constantly matches. Big fan. Hiromu, I mean, uh, Daryl, big fan of Daryl. I'm a huge fan of Daryl. I've got, I've got several. That might be, that's hilarious. So, like, the Daryl thing is, like, the one thing that, like, a lot of people who don't otherwise care for New Japan in some ways love. And like, I mean, I, think, I love uh, Daryl, but, but I, I think I, Trump I supporters hate Daryl. So there's the yeah. connection for it. Yeah, they, oh, there you go. But, yeah, I mean, like, the current, the current stuff is interesting, but. I don't know. Um, I I get it to some degree. I I first of all, I I get why, I get why like a w why people who are like really super WWE apologist might not like you guys. And I don't I don't know where where these people are getting like like where, what are they listening to is my question. Like what what is this podcast out there that's like super into twenty seventeen WWE? The, the, the like, bottom <laughs> the bottom line is this. Uh, myself and Rich sucks. Look, look that, that's 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 one way to put it. But myself and Rich, we go on the air every week, and we never fabricate an opinion for, for you know, just to we're not going out there doing the Skip Bayless thing. I mean, look, yeah. 
if it's bad, we're going to say it's bad, you know? And look, there was also a period of time where we were labeled these WWE bashers, but yet we had, we had praised like 14 straight pay-per-views for being excellent shows. It's, it's the same thing where you ignore certain things that we say about new Japan to support what you think of us. And it, the, the other side does the same thing. What we've learned is the larger the listener base grows, the more you just cannot win. If you praise something, you're just, you're an apologist. If you bash something, you're never happy. And my favorite critique is why do you guys watch? (laughs) Well, I mean, we we fucking hate pro wrestling. That's why we devote our whole fucking lives to it. I heard heard that. I heard that too. Like the other day, like why, why do you even bother paying attention to it? It's like, well, I fucking hate it. Clearly. Well, you know, we own a website that covers pro wrestling. It'd be pretty silly not to watch pro wrestling if we're going to cover pro wrestling. I can't do a three-hour podcast every week where where, where sponsors are paying us money to produce listeners and ignore WWE. So if I'm going to cover it, I'm going to cover it fair. If it sucks, I'm going to tell you it sucks. You know, I can't – we cannot ignore WWE or New Japan. How silly would it be to do the kind of show that we do and ignore those two companies. You can't. We can blow off TNA. We can blow our global force, whatever they're calling themselves today. No, in fact, impact. Don't forget. Yeah, impact. We can, <laughs> we, can, we can blow off Dragon Gate. And unfortunately, we do a lot. We can blow off All Japan. We can blow off uh, Lucha. But in this climate, you cannot blow off those two companies with where they stand today. It would be like doing a radio show in 1994 and not talking about AAA. You yeah. can't do it. it. It's it's a major company in the in, in, in producing major stories all the time. You can't ignore them. It'd be it'd be doing a show in 1998 and just deciding arbitrarily. I'm not talking about WCW. You can't do it. You just can't do it. If you're going to do a catch-all wrestling show, you have to talk about the promotions that are that are making news. So we're gonna and if we're gonna talk about something, we're gonna be honest about it. And sometimes it sucks. So. I mean, what you what you were talking about, like the 14 straight periods. It's like they had a run for a long time. Where um, I'm hearing an echo all of a sudden. I don't know what just happened. Okay, so they had a run uh, for for a long time where they weren't, you know, the the, the booking hasn't been good in a lot in a, you know many many years. It's not news to anybody, but at least they were still putting on great matches. And now, like this year, they even stopped with the fucking great matches. So it's like, what what like I always wanted like, what are you people watching that you're enjoying? Like, what is the? I've never had this explained to me in a way that makes sense to me, like what the actual fucking appeal is of, of 2017 main roster WWE. The booking is, is as bad as ever, but now they're not, they're not really producing like the, the level of matches they were producing in the, in the past few years either. I think I can explain that for you. <laughs> or at least I can tell you uh, for me personally. Um, and it relates to the topic that we're eventually going to talk about. I think, um, you know, I, I've been watching this company since right around the time of WrestleMania one. Okay. Yeah. I was a small child. That's was my first exposure to WWF. That's good. Cause I was asking your background anyway. So that's good. You started around then. Yeah. That's, that's when I discovered wrestling and discovered, and I discovered it through that company through WWF. Like, like you, I grew up, you grew up in New Jersey, correct? I know you uh, all over, but yeah, born in New Jersey and spent significant time there. Yeah, so the both of us grew up in the in the McMahon territory, so to speak. Um, you're a little younger than me. Um, you're not as you know what. Here's the thing: you're not as, you're not as, you, 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 there isn't this, this huge age gap that you like to portray, okay, pal? You are <laughs> you are well into your thirties at this point. I'm not well into my thirties. I just started my thirties. Well, that listen, that's well into your thirties. Okay, twenties okay. are in the rearview. Like I literally I'm just always- started them. Point is here, okay, we grew up in the same area of the country around yeah. the same time, the McMahon territory. That was my first exposure to wrestling. Yeah, same and, for me. 
and I think that when you know you you watch the same company for so long, it it it's becomes habit viewing now. I relate it to the NFL. I've been watching the NFL for thirty years. I don't even like the NFL anymore, but it's what I have done on Sundays for thirty years. It's 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 hard to. They say it takes twenty one days to form a habit. Well, what about a thirty year habit? Right. It's hard to break that habit. And you just you have history with this company. You have history with the NFL. And it's like I can't find a way to just turn the TV off and go to the mall on Sunday afternoons or on Monday nights. I just and I think that's what it is for a lot of people. And and, and the other thing is, I think people want to like it very badly. That's what I agree with. I think people there's people who want this to be good so bad that they'll fucking force it. They'll force it. You know, they'll force it to be good, which I, I get it. I understand. I do that. I've done that with things before too, but yeah. And, and I think if you want some, and that's why people so passionate are so passionate when it's bad because it hurts them that it's bad because they want this thing that they love to be good. And it just, it never scratches that itch for them. And they're just going to come back next week and try again for eternity. And, 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 and the cycle. And then these are the same people that just get like really like fucking offended at the idea that there might be much better wrestling somewhere else. You know, the people that are all in date that they, they, you and I would never have any idea these people exist if, you know, because we're not even talking about like people in our circle now that like WWE. I mean, like the people who reply to Dave constantly that he feels the need to quote treat constantly. But like, I would have no idea those people exist. But those are the, one, the ones who get the most angry about it are the ones who don't like being told that this thing they so desperately want to be good actually isn't it nearly as good as these other things out there. Right. So I, I, I totally get it. And I think the same, the same dynamic exists for lots of shit, you know? I mean, like there's people I'm sure that claim that clung to like, uh, like certain musical genres that just over the course of time were no longer producing, you know, things of artistic merit. And they didn't, you know, people didn't want to hear that. Like, you know, no, no one's making any good punk rock right now or, you know, this this fucking this style of music you grew up with, like pop punk or something, is actually fucking garbage. Like people got very people get very mad about stuff like that because it's it's also a matter of taste. But like, you know, yeah, I, I totally get it. But what, where, what I was gonna say was where, where our backgrounds differ is so you grew up with WWF as your main promotion first first of all, right? Yeah, that was my uh, gateway drug, John. Like for like w, WWF was my gateway drug too to a degree. But like, like the very first wrestling show I ever went to was WrestleMania 10. So, you know, eight years old at the time. So very young. But like, um, like that was more my cousin that was really into it. So I was more like, well, I'm going to go with my cousin to this thing he really likes. It wasn't like my wrestling fandom did not really start until I was fucking flicking around the TV channels a few years later and happened to come across Monday Nitro. And that's what I grew up with, really, more than WWF was WCW. And like you know, later, later on, I would go back and discover WWF. But if you told me like, what were you first a fan of? It wasn't WWF, it was WCW. So that might be why I don't feel that emotional connection to WWF on the same level as even like you do. Where like, I have no trouble turning them the fuck off when I'm not enjoying their, enjoying the promotion, which has been right. the yeah. case more than not the last like fucking t- five or 10 years even. Yeah, I mean, you're talking about what amounts to now a 32-year story that I've been following. Yeah. To vary now, 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 keep in mind th- there have been times over the years where I've almost entirely ignored the company. I mean, I, I, the listeners to my show know that 
that oddly enough, during their peak, I mean, I was not a fan of the Attitude Era to the point where I just quit the company. I hated it. Yeah, it just I didn't appeal, it. it didn't appeal to my sensibilities as a fan. Three minute television matches and <laughs> all the, the sexual bullshit. And <laughs> I just, it, none of it appealed to me. You know, even though I was the prime age at the time that it was supposed to appeal to me, it did not. It was not the kind of wrestling I wanted. And it really helped me discover a lot of other things. But I still kept one eye on it and I always read the newsletters. So it's not as if I didn't follow it at all. Um, it's just that, you know, Rich will talk about these Attitude Era matches that he grew up on and I'll be, and these classic matches and I'm lost. I'm like, I didn't see it. And he'll make yeah. me go watch it. And he's like, I can't believe you never saw. It wasn't until a couple of years ago that I saw the Austin Rock matches from the WrestleManias. I just oh, wasn't yeah. around it. I didn't care. I didn't care about the company at that time. Um, so, you know, I've had my ups and downs with the company like anyone else. And now I just like to keep it at arm's length. I accept that it's never going to satisfy me creatively. And I just keep one eye on it, hope to see some good matches. And, and for the most part, accept that it will always let me down. But then you have things like this Asuka thing, which still drive me nuts because it's so easy. It's handed to them on a platter and they still find a way to fuck it up, you know? And yeah, I mean like the, so, so what, so, so do you, here's a question. If you weren't doing this fucking podcast, would you watch them as much as you're watching that's them right a, now? That's an excellent question. I heard someone ask Dave Meltzer once, if he stopped doing the Observer tomorrow, would he watch more wrestling or less wrestling? And interestingly enough, his answer was he'd watch more wrestling. Because well, no, I told, for Dave, I totally believe that actually. Yeah, it's like the time it takes to write The Observer. But here's the other thing that he said, which I thought was interesting, is he would watch less shitty wrestling that he's obligated to watch, and he would dive deeper into the shit that he actually wants to watch that he can never get to. But he has an obligation to his readers and the people paying him to watch Impact every week and watch Raw every week. And, and, And for me, if I wasn't doing the show, I would still follow WWE. I would still... I would still have I would still purchase WWE Network. I would watch all of the pay-per-views every month. But what would change is I would literally never watch SmackDown, which <laughs> I watch. I watch every episode. I don't watch them. Sometimes I'll binge watch them and catch up, but I watch every SmackDown. I would never watch SmackDown. I would watch Raw when it was convenient. Do you know what I mean? Like if I'm home, if I have nothing to do, but there's no way I'd watch it every week and there's no way I'd watch all 3 hours ever. Um, but I would watch all of the pay-per-views. I would watch NXT every week. I do genuinely enjoy NXT. I, I like it. I think it's a good show. Um, and I would probably dabble a little bit with 205 Live and things like that. So the Cliff Notes answer is I would watch a lot less WWE mm-hmm. if I wasn't doing the pod. I mean, but here's the thing. It's not just the podcast. You know, FSM, I've got uh, to cover that company for that magazine, for that publication. They're paying me. I cannot get away with not watching it. I don't, I don't feel right doing a pay-per-view review if I didn't watch the entire lead up and all of the television programming leading up to it. I, I Someone's paying me to do work, John, I'm going to do the work. Um, and, and again, that's like anyone who, any form of, of journalism or writing, I mean, you should do the work, even if you don't enjoy what you're covering or, or you're going to cover it in a negative light. So, so wait a second. If, if you're, for instance, a newspaper writer and you're getting paid to cover WWE, you should probably know that saying every wrestler in WWE is around 500 is wrong. You know, Vaughn Johnson's a nice guy. <laughs> I'm not going to say the guy's name, but... but no, well, listen, he's got a blue check mark, so I think he's fair game. I, look, he's a nice guy, and I've had nice chats with him. He's a cool dude. But he was just so off base with that whole line of, 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 of reasoning. I mean, the idea that 
it would be the fans' fault if Asuka doesn't get over ultimately because Michael Cole is telling them that she's good. Well, yeah, because and, and of course, if anyone has credibility with the modern professional wrestling fan, it is Michael Cole. I mean, the idea that that was just so absurd to me that someone who, you know, and, and you know, he's covering wrestling for a living. And I mean, it's just a that was just a terrible opinion. Um, and again, he's a nice guy. I've had nice conversations with him, but he was just so far off base on that. And I kind of felt bad because we were quote tweeting each other. And then, you know, he kind of got piled on by the people who follow us. Yeah, because everybody I, was like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was pretty insane. But yeah, I mean, like, I don't know. It's just. So, so your WWE habits, you'd still watch more than I do, because I don't even like, like I was trying, when you were going through your checklist, I'm like, I can't even get through, never mind Raw, which I never watch, like I can't even get through the pay-per-views anymore. Like I watch, like I, I, wa- I will go, I will start watching them later, like, like Monday, this past week, I actually wanted to watch it live because I knew it would be a train wreck, but usually like I, I remember to, people will be like, oh, definitely this, like these pay-per-views this year I've seen nothing of. And there's other ones where I just wait to see what matches people are talking about. I'm just like, okay, well, Usos and, uh, you know, Usos and New Day. I'll, I'll watch that. I'll watch, like, I pick and choose and I see, like, you know, I, I watch the very few matches that people say are actually really good. No, and I mean, but, you're approaching it the right way. I mean, I've, yeah. I've seen, I eventually get around to watching every everything that hits tape with the exception of main event. And main event, I'll watch if I have what little free time I have. And I literally have nothing to do. I'll throw on the most recent main event and check it out. But aside from that, I, I watch, you know, I, I watch all of it. Um, but again, I'd watch way less if it wasn't for the, for the flagship. I just can't, I can't imagine. Like I have, there's so much, it's, it always comes out to me. Like I just rather be watching something else, whether that's like Japanese wrestling or even whether that's just anime. I got to watch some anime, Joe. I know you don't have that. You don't have that problem, but. Can I ask you a question about the anime? Let me ask yeah, you a question sure, about the anime. Sure, yeah, about the anime. Sure. Why, why is it that now it's clearly established that there's a lot of people who hate me, but I think the percentage, uh, the odds that you will hate me go up exponentially if you have an anime avatar in your Twitter. Uh, what is with that? What's I, the connection I, I, there? I don't know. I have no, I really don't. I really don't know what the connection I feel like everyone who is an anime fan who also ventures into wrestling Twitter, which is a pretty that Venn diagram isn't exactly, you know, there's a lot of anime people who are into the, into the wrestling. Okay. Well, to, be, that, to be fair, there's a bunch on our website. That's they, don't right. hate, they don't hate you. No, no. They, see, okay. that's the thing, John, you know, part of this doing the Omakase podcast is to, is, is to kind of cleanse my reputation because all you guys who know me don't seem to have issues with me, but you know, there's all, and I'm telling you, if there's an anime av- if there's a rando with an anime avatar on Twitter, they hate me, and I just I can't make the. I've never bashed anime, you know. So it, <laughs> so it has nothing to do with the damn cartoons, okay? It has nothing to do with the cartoons. So what the hell is it? Go watch all the cartoons you want. I don't care. I don't. I have no idea. All well, a bunch of geeks. I mean, there's 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 a lot of people in there's a lot of people on the voice wrestling site actually that watch anime like yes. some some people i would not like like when when jr goldberg starts talking to me that, that's what we talk about usually before for people wondering like what do we talk about before the the episode starts recording it's jr trying to convince me to watch this anime food wars and that's what he's trying to do and i'm telling him about uh princess principle so you know i gotta tell you milo 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 damn near got me to watch the the one on the ice skating yeah, two. Yuri on Ice. Yeah. yeah, I damn near watched that just by by with Milo's pressure. 
uh, the Yuri on Ice. I the people were telling me to watch this thing, and I, I damn near did it. And uh, it's I, a very good show. If um, but it's it's extremely gay, which is not a problem, obviously for me. But whatever, whatever extremely like, gay, extremely. I mean, like it, it's it's very uh, you know, it's about two. It's ultimately it's about two men who love each other. So you know, if you're if you're cool with that, it's a cool show. But like. I enjoy a nice. I enjoy a nice love story, John. It's not. It's not the first thing I'd recommend to a new anime viewer. I will say that. Like, I'd be like, why don't you start off with some My Hero Academia or something, and like, watch these superheroes fight it out and stuff. Like, that'd probably be my first recommendation. I gotta be honest. I'd probably prefer the love story. <laughs> you know, because when it comes to like movies, I am not a guy movie guy. I hate movies with explosions and and people beating each other up and blowing things up and and like you couldn't pay me. To you'd have to strap me to the chair to watch like the Fast and the Furious movies and, and things like that. I, that's I can't. Not I was gonna start like I I don't mind Fast and Furious, but I I really fucking hate Marvel movies. Like, I can't. Yeah, comic book. I, I can't stand that stuff. I really but, can't. You know, either, but. Give Joe Lanza a good rom com, and I'm there. You know, that's the <laughs> thing. Like I'll, I'll go to that, and I'll sit there, and I'll and I'll turn my head off for for ninety minutes. And enjoy whatever you know, whatever you know, crafty Matthew McConaughey wooing some uh, <laughs> some generic blonde for for an hour and a half. I can get into that, but I cannot get into like anything where things blow up is usually not my speed. So I usually maybe like, I should I mean, watch the Yuri on Ice. Maybe that'd be yeah, more, you know, maybe that's my gateway into the into the cart into the cartoon world here. Yeah, Yuri on Ice is. I mean, it's a it's a great show, but like it's just not. I don't think it's for everybody. But it sounds like it might be for you. So you should give it a shot. I mean, how how are you with figure skating? There's a lot of figure skating. Yeah, you know, um, I don't mind the figure skating, you know. <laughs> There's think, a lot of figure skating. Here's the problem. It's male figure skating. I can yeah. get into the female figure skating during the Olympics like everybody else does because that's the highest rated shit at the Olympics is yeah. the female figure skating. Well, because the women well, love it and the men love it too, so, you know. Yeah, like, but the, no one is watching dudes figure skate. Like, the yeah. ratings just plummet when the dudes come on. So it's like, I don't know. Male figure skaters, I, I don't know. But maybe the maybe the story would hook me, though. Who knows? How what the hell are we talking about? How are you? How are you with girl spies? What do you think about that? Girl spies? Yeah, girl spies in like 19th century England. I sound like it sounds like something that would make me want to um, run out into traffic. It sounds okay. terrible, actually. <laughs> you don't like? You're not uh, a big fan of spies. I'm not know? a fan of spies. Like like James Bond. No thanks. I think yeah, I love James Bond. So I love that's why, part, probably why I love this show. But that's yeah. my that's my current obsession. So people at home who want anime recommendation. Go check out Princess Principal. Two thumbs up. Do you think it's because I call them cartoons that the people don't that the anime? No, there's plenty. Of, the, the only people who give a shit about that are like the really like insufferable ones. So I don't think anyone. Really whenever I call it cartoons on the flagship, I could feel Rich loosening his collar. Like he gets nervous. Like they're <laughs> gonna come after us because I'm calling the anime cartoons. I mean, but, it, uh, it, it, the, the anime literally does mean cartoon. I mean, right, in, a, yeah, in, right. In Japan, they use that to refer to everything. Like what that—that's what was really, you know, what was really funny when uh, Kari Hojo or Sane or whatever the fuck her name is now. She, yeah. she like, um, put out that tweet asking, asking people because she's trying to learn English and she's like, you know, what are some good anime to learn English? She meant American cartoons because. Obviously, she's not talking about Japanese cartoon anime right. to learn, but that's her word for all cartoons. And of course, right. like all these people, people who follow Kari, you know, follow this Japanese wrestler, a lot of them are also anime nerds, and they all reply to all these anime. And it's like, well, 
That's really not what she, she she wants. Like American cartoon recommendations, guys. Right. You she, she wants she wants to watch The Simpsons. She doesn't yeah, she want. Wants, she wants like Disney movies. She wants to learn English. Yeah. So, but yeah, I mean, like that that was really funny. But okay, we got a little off track here. We were we were kind of on track um, a little bit, but we got a little bit off track. We were talking about our personal histories. Um, so we, so so through the nineties. Like I said, I'm watching WCW. Were you already getting into Pure yet? Because I'm I'm still a little ways away from getting into it. So you, well, I, I, I well, per, well, yeah. I mean, I the next thing I discovered was Jim Crockett Promotions on TBS when mm. I was still relatively young. Um, you know, right after I discovered WWF, I figured out that TBS had wrestling, which appealed much more to me than WWF did. I just thought it was uh, so much cooler, so much more. I don't know what the word is, um, but it didn't come off as well. I, I mean, I, I guess what people already know it was a more adult product. I guess it was a more uh, mature version of pro wrestling. Um, I thought Ric Flair was just the coolest fucking thing in the world as 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 a kid. Um, you know, his promos appealed to me. He he looked he looked. I wanted to be Ric Flair. I never wanted to be Hulk Hogan. I never was a Hogan fan. I would root. I would watch MSG shows and root for Kamala to beat Hulk Hogan. <laughs> I'd root for Sika to win the title from Hulk Hogan. I'd root for whoever Hogan was facing, and it would make me upset when he would beat these. And here's the thing: even as like a ten year old, I figured out the Hogan template very quickly, and realized that he's going to have a ten minute match where he gets beat down by a guy that's twice his size, and he's going to come back with that stupid boot to the face. And that leg drop, and he's going to win every time. And it drove me nuts even as a kid. I never liked Hogan. I liked Ric Flair. Later on, I liked Mr. Perfect. I was always a fan of the heels. I was always a fucking smark, John. From, from, <laughs> from even as, Before you knew what that was, like as a child, I knew I was like this newsletter smark who did not, you know, I, you know, I thought the four horsemen were just the fucking greatest. I, you know, and, 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 and so, yeah, I discovered Jim Crockett, um, pretty quickly and and would always watch it see i didn't watch the 605 show though that people grew up on i oh, would watch, watch ww pro no i'd watch the one that came on on saturday mornings in 1985 1986 1987 um because it would come on at like 10 o'clock in the morning or 1005 or whatever 905 in the morning and that would lead me into wrestling superstars and wrestling challenge which came on at 11 a.m at noon and I would watch like a four-hour block of wrestling. First, I'd watch the Jim Crockett. Then I'd watch the WWF stuff. Can I ask? You're older than me. Maybe you'll know the answer to this. Why the fuck did they do that 05 shit? Who, TBS? Yeah. Do you have any I idea? I think that was a – yeah, that was a, um, a Ted Turner gimmick where I think he felt he would have an edge on the other networks if he staggered his times in that manner. I mean it obviously was false and it didn't work out. And eventually when Turner was out of the picture, they just switched back to what everybody else on the fucking planet does. But I think it had something to do with that where uh, – So like uh, he thought like people would – cut tune out of the commercials for the other shows or whatever. Okay. So I think the idea was if you were watching the show before and it uh, ran till and, and ran till Oh four, oh, you wouldn't have I a see. chance to change the channel. And then I see. you know what I mean? I, I'm that pretty clever, sure that's that clever Ted. Yes. <laughs> but, I, never, um, I never had any idea. I don't, I don't know. But yeah, that makes sense. But, but yeah, so you were, so you were, w, so you were in a WCW too. Yeah. And during then, the Jim Crockett era. Yeah, for sure. And then, um, you know, and then I discovered once I was able to drive, it, it, ECW came along at just the right time because it came along just at the time when I got my driver's license. So you were an ECW guy. 
I was a huge ECW. Oh, ah, okay. That's cool. So, they, I, they have, so we, we part ways on that too. Cause I was not an ECW person at all. Like by the time I was, you know, I think 98, I was only like 12 years old. So like by the time I was really paying close attention, uh, close enough attention to wrestling in general to even know ECW existed, like they were, you know, they were already kind of on the way down. Sure. Like I feel like 98, by 98, if you go back and watch like 98, 99, they're already like past their peak. Oh, for and sure. Like, it was 95, 96 is the peak. Yeah. And I was, I was too young. Yeah, and that's when I just had started driving. So we, you know, I'd pile my friends in my 1989 Firebird with the hatchback that didn't latch. So every time we'd hit a pothole, the, the hatch would fly up, driving down, you know, I-95 to get to Philly. And then, um, you know, and, and we'd go to these ECW shows. I discovered ECW on MSG Network in the middle of the night, Saturday nights, 2 a.m., I think. And, you know, at that time, I was already reading newsletters. And, um, yeah, I was already reading newsletters by, you know, junior, senior year of high school. I was reading the, I, my, my gateway to that was the torch. Actually, I didn't start reading observers until, you know, a couple of years later. Um, and so I was aware of ECW, but then once we had the TV on MSG, it just all, it was a perfect storm. Driver's license, got it on TV. Um, get now remember this is pre GPS. This is pre internet like widespread internet. No, so, I mean, I, I, I definitely also did this too. I, I had to do some, some driving before G the kids who came up, who came up after they already had GPS on their phone, have no idea what it was like to print out fucking map quest directions and try to fucking find your way. You know? And I'm talking 1995. Oh, so you didn't even have that like, map quest. Yeah. So th- you know what this was, this was four dopey 17 year olds piling into a car and driving South. <laughs> you know, and just, and just winging it, you know? And then we, I, I'll never forget, um, you know, the first time we went, we got into Philly and we're just, we're just driving around South Philly. Cause that's what they kept saying on TV. Right. And we knew it was on the corner of Swanson and Rittner. Right. Cause they would refer to it in promos. So we're just driving around aimlessly. And I remember pulling over to this group of dudes and we were just like, Hey man, we're looking for the corner of Swanson and Rittner. Right. And they all look at each other and laugh. And then the guy looks into the car and he goes, are you looking for the ECW arena? And we said, yeah. And he goes, it's right there. We were literally in front of the building and didn't know it. <laughs> so that's how we found it because it's always that thing where no one expects it to be a fucking warehouse. You yeah. know, it's like, we're looking for an arena. So they were, know? so they were, they were going to the show too, I guess. Yes. They were yeah, basically funny. getting in line. And then, yeah. then, it, then we looked around and we're like, holy shit, we are there. And, um, so yeah, we parked the car, we go in. And then I think I went to, they, he ran them every three weeks. Uh, they ran that building every three weeks and we went to every show probably from early 1995 until right around when barely legal. So I guess mid 97 or late yeah. 97. And um, I, I think the barely legal show is a clear line in the sand of the end of the glory days of ECW. Everything after barely legal to me is a different era. And then you, by the way, you're describing it. You sort of came up with the purple logo era. East yeah, Street, yeah. Which was Steve Carino, just incredible. Yeah. Jerry Lynn. Which is why I don't, ha- I don't have that. Like when people start talking about the nostalgia, we said, it's like, uh, it's okay. <laughs> it's like, yeah. Well, yeah. like at the time I didn't really like it. And I think, and, and nothing suffers. I mean, you probably know this from someone who actually liked it originally. Like, does anything on the network suffer more than ECW? No, it doesn't. And I don't blame it's people. It's almost unwatchable. It is almost unwatchable. And I really don't blame people who didn't live it because it really was a product for the moment. And forget about what everybody points to, which is 
the, the licensed music. I get that that was a huge part, and I'm not denying that. And I do think that's very important to the entire – to the aura of the whole thing. But the one thing that people overlook when they focus on the licensed music is that it really was a product for that exact moment in time. Um, the in-ring, the promos, everything. And some of it does hold up, and some of it you're like, wow, that was innovative, or that was – I could see the appeal. But a lot of it does not hold up, and 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 I get – I totally understand. I am not someone who will go out there and defend ECW to people who did not live through it. But it's one of those things where you only get it if you were there. And I was there and I get it. And, but I totally get why other people do not. And I think, I I think with the music too, it's just like taking the music out of it just makes it just that much harder to even try to put yourself in that mindset and try to like, like there's stuff you can watch. If you go back and watch it, they even, even if the wrestling doesn't hold up now, like you can maybe get yourself in that, in that frame of mind to be like, okay, I can understand why this appeal. But like when you have this fucking terrible, like generic fucking WWE guitar blaring over everything and drowning out the rest of the sound, it's like, it's hard to get in that mindset. So that's why I think the, the music is so important both to people like getting it on like a nostalgic level and for people who weren't there to actually understand it. But. It was it was the first promotion that appealed to Smarks in a very long time because when Jim Crockett fell apart and 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 Bill Watts fell apart and all those things, yeah. those were sort of the Smark promotions for their time. You know, the tape traders wanted to get a hold of that kind. And then there was this you know eight year period or whatever uh, where there was really nothing for the smart fan, a fan like me, you know, it was either the, the cartoonish WWE or Hulk Hogan era, W early Hulk Hogan era, WCW, when he first went to the company and brought yeah. all his pals with him. And, it, and, 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 and Heyman was booking cool people, right? He was booking like these rejects. Like he brought in bad company when, when they just weren't a major league act anymore, you know, and he would, and, and he took this and what, and what he really did was, you know, he took like these East Coast indie guys whose careers were going nowhere and would have went nowhere, and he just hyper focused on what was cool about them, blocked out all of their weaknesses. I mean, you know, you had the Sandman doing this beach gimmick, right? Which was getting him nowhere, wearing the wetsuit with the with the, with the surfboard and all that. But Heyman took a look at this guy behind the scenes. He saw a blue collar dude who drank, you know, drank beer. He smoked cigarettes. He talked like a guy on the street. And he said, you know what? You will appeal to my fans because they're you. So forget this surfing shit. Go out there and be the construction worker. Be the guy who, who you know, is, is the South Philly street dude who just speaks their language and, 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 and that they can relate to. And all of a sudden, you got this guy who's a below-average wrestler, a below-average promo. But because you're focusing on all of his strengths, he comes off as this larger-than-life anti-hero to those people. You know, Tommy Dreamer was doing this whole pretty boy routine. He was in a tag team. You know, he was TD Madison teaming with, I forget the other guy, the long forgotten tag team partner's name that he was teaming with an Mm -hmm. IWCCW, you know, with the suspenders and the pretty boy look. And that was never going to get over in South Philadelphia during that point in time. So Heyman found a way to make him like this ultimate underdog that never won in the end. And to this day, I still say he should have, to this day, he should have never beaten Raven. In 2017, he should still be losing to Raven. He should have never beaten Raven, you know. And 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 you look at a guy like uh, 
uh, uh, Rocco Rock, you know, he was Cheetah Kid, you know, the the, the Tiger Mask ripoff doing, uh, you know, New Jersey Independence, and he was always a good worker, but could never get over. And and you know, and 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 Johnny Grunge was just this 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 shindy guy, you know, a guy that wouldn't get booked by sleaziest era CZW if he were if if he were around during that time, and yet. <laughs> You know, he took these guys and he just gave them a gimmick for their time. And it got them over tremendously to the point where these two guys were Johnny fucking grunge earned WCW and WWF paychecks. The guy was awful at everything. Uh I mean, he was the worst that indie wrestling had to offer. But Heyman did this time and time again with everybody on the roster. Taz, the jungle savage. That wasn't going to work, you know? So so what do you have? He had this cocky Italian guy with Napoleon syndrome. So he said, fuck it. Exemplify that let's let's turn that bitterness into your gimmick and 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 again taz became arguably the biggest thing in that company for three years because he was just being he's being the grumpy prick that he was in real life and that he still is today on his damn radio show that's taz (laughs) so what the hell was he doing a jungle savage gimmick why would you want that guy not talking that's one of the best talkers of the era, you know, because he was he was he was annoyed that he was five six, and he was annoyed that he didn't get respect. And you know, he turned him into he. Paul Heyman had people convinced that Taz was the baddest motherfucker on the planet in an era where UFC had already existed, but we still believed he'd bring in guys like Paul Varlins and shoot fighters to do jobs to Taz to get this idea over. And we believed that Taz was the toughest motherfucker on the planet. We believed that the Eliminators were the greatest tag team on the planet because they had a cool finisher. <laughs> that's, they had no, you, you go back and that's why you go back and watch this stuff with eyes with 2017 eyes. You don't get it yeah, because you see the terrible. Eliminators is just a, a spot fest team that, <laughs> that, that wasn't very, they just had a cool finisher, you know, yeah. but what did they focus on? Total elimination. What did Paul Heyman tell you every week on TV? They're the greatest tag team. He t- you tell a lie enough and people start to believe it, you know? And, and you can hear the excitement when I just talk about that era of ECW. It's just uh, you had to fucking be there. And I get it if you weren't. And, and that's really all there is to it. Then you bring the gangsters in and, and do all the race baiting stuff. And it was just, I mean, those were just some of the hottest uh, shows I was at, you know, where new Jack and uh, is going at it with Brian Pillman and Pillman's dropping the N word. And it's, there's a near riot. And I mean, that stuff was just, there was nothing like that going on in wrestling at the time. And um, you know, it, it's, it's, I, I am, I am, I'm couldn't be more thrilled that I lived through it. And now 20 years later, there's people who, you know, like my, my, my buddy, Rob Viper, who's, who's been to arena Mexico and he's been to PWG, but he's jealous of me because I was at the ECW arena during that time. You know, so with, I, all that, with all that said, do you ever feel the need to go back and watch it? I occasionally will put that stuff on, mm. but it's all nostalgia. It's, it's all from the perspective of who did I go to this show with? I got you. Who did I hang out with after the show? What did we do before? You know what I mean? It's not so much, I need to watch this Sandman match because it's it means so much to me. It's more what was going on in my life at that time. It's it's a remember when sort of thing. Yeah, for me. no, I, I feel yeah. you. And like the, the I don't know because I feel like there there is this type of fan that was there that could never get past the idea that ECW that you know like they they that's only that's all they ever want to know you know and you know they and people tried to pander these people for years and years and years after with like every. Like, one of the reasons why, which, I, like, I don't know if this is understood now, but, like, one of the reasons why Ring, Ring of Honor stood out so much in 2002 was because it was, do it, they went out to do the exact opposite that everyone else was doing on the Indies at the time, because everyone, everyone else was CCW, you mm-hmm. know? 
everyone was doing that. Everyone was fake ECW. That's all the indies were in yep. 2002. It was everybody pretending to be ECW. So having a company out there, especially on the East Coast, I should say. So having a company just go out there and be like, we're going to do everything the exact opposite of you. Posts, you know, we're not going to have interference. We're not going to have hardcore really, except, you know, once in a while. Like that, that was completely different what everyone else was doing. And, and so. you know what's funny and ironic about that? is Paul Heyman knew the lay of the land was changing. If nothing else, Paul Heyman is always ahead of the curve. Yeah. Uh, you know, ECW changed the game and, and, and was copied. And then, you know, later on, even when he was with WWE and they rolled out WWE CW, he used nostalgia to establish it. But his plan long-term was to build that brand around MMA style, yeah. which at the time when UFC, you know, we're talking 2005, 2006 here, um, you know, and, and he was going to build it around Kurt Angle and Vladimir Kozlov and Santino Morella as a shooter. And CM Punk doing a Muay Thai gimmick and things like that because he saw that as the next big thing that was going to come through. Um, so Heyman knew, and it's funny because a lot of those early ROH guys were the next wave that Heyman would have used and has gone on record saying he was going to use, whether it was Christopher Daniels or Loki or Reckless Youth Tom Carter. You know, but those are the guys he was going to transition into using. It's just the company didn't last you know yeah. he needed he knew he needed to get away and you know that last year year and a half you can tell that it was mailed in you knew that he saw the writing on the wall he'd exhausted every last hustle that he can think of and uh the effort just wasn't there when you know during the chilly willy the musketeer uh you know uh danny doring era it's just you know he 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 couldn't afford talent anymore, and he really wasn't putting in the same type of effort in turning these nobodies into somebody. There's probably <coughs> 10 to 12 people who had full-time careers in pro wrestling and made a lot of money who owe everything to Paul Heyman, whether it's Bubba Ray Dudley, Devon Dudley, Tommy Dreamer, all the guys I talked about before, Sandman, uh, Public Enemy. You know, Devon Dudley's a guy who I watched on, on sleazy Jersey independent shows with 10 people in the crowd. His name was A-Train. Like long before Lord <laughs> Tensai had the name, this guy was A-Train on the Jersey independent scene, and he was just going nowhere fast. And it's like, you know, and, and by all accounts, he's a nice guy and a decent wrestler, but no one would ever heard of that guy if he didn't luck into that Dudley gimmick, you know, as the black Dudley boy, you know? So it's like, you know, a lot of people owe Heyman, a lot of people. Owe, and I think they know that. I don't think that's any kind of thing that they don't want to give him credit for, but yeah. he was going to, he was going to transition into those, into sort of the work rate thing. I have always believed and have always maintained that ROH is what ECW would have transitioned into being. Yeah, I, mean, so, so I think it would have been a little bit harder than starting from scratch, but I think in the end they probably would have used a lot of the same guys. And with the same st same ring style, I think. I think yeah. Heyman would have been smart enough to train. Look, you know, a lot of the brain trust for ROH came from ECW. Yeah, and, and, I mean, and obviously you know, Gabe Zapolsky and all of them. Yeah, and he and has a tight relationship with Heyman, so it's not like he doesn't still go to Heyman to this day for advice. I'm sure he was then as well. Hmm. wonder if he asked Heyman how to handle the errands. <laughs> you know what's funny is I'm uh, – <laughs> I'm writing a Heyman piece for, for FSM and, 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 um, I really, I'm, I want to go to him, but not Heyman. I'm sorry. Uh, Sapolsky. I'm writing a Sapolsky piece for FSM and I'm, I want to go to Gabe, but I'm a little hesitant because of the whole Aaron's <laughs> thing. Uh, he hasn't really, uh, he hadn't said a word to me or rich, uh, since all of that has gone down, but I don't know if we're guilty by association. You know, I mean, we did publish the stuff, so, yeah. um, I wonder how that's all going to go down. But anyway, that's getting off the beat track. <laughs> but yeah, so ECW, um, 
you know, not not my thing, but clearly was your thing. Well, the topic we were going to talk about, like what an hour and a half into the show or something, we were going to discuss like uh, the, you know, where where our paths kind of merged because that was the original idea of the show. When we were talking a while back, like probably a year or so back now, is that we grew up with a lot of the exact same promotions. So, yes. um, early two thousands, you know, I'm I'm a fresh faced teenager. And, you know, I'm going, did you go to Jersey All-Pro? I imagine you did, right? Believe it or not, I never went to a single Jersey All-Pro show. And and at one point, I lived literally, literally across the street from the building they ran in Carteret, New Jersey. And I never went to a single show. Okay, well, that's crazy. But yeah, I I was, um, so that's basically, that was my entry drug away from uh, American wrestling was like, I I started going to Jersey All-Pros. It was like 2001, I want to say. Like, it was around the time, like, I don't know, Slick Ragnar Brown was around and like the Hit Squad and Low Key, all these dudes, like 0102. And, you know, I've already told the story a million times in the show, actually. But like 2002, it was uh, the Mayfield Mayhem table. He sold all these fucking tapes. And I bought like a Best of 95 and like a, uh, a T2P tape. And that's kind of what got start- got me started on like this crazy path of following Toriumon slash Dragon Gate. And then not long after that, I got started on Noah. So that was kind of, those were like my entry drugs in Japanese wrestling was Toriumon slash Noah in the early part of the 2000s. Uh, um, and then from there, from Jersey All Pro, I started going to like every single Ring of Honor show because, you know, Ring of Honor was using a lot of the same guys at the time. And that kind of became like my American promotion for most of their original run, which again, I've talked about, you know, over and over again on this podcast. So what, when did you start going to Ring of Honor shows? So um, I had followed Ring of Honor from day one through the newsletters and via DVD, but I did not go to a show until they started coming to Edison, New Jersey. Oh, wow. A town you would be familiar with because I grew it's up like, there and you're from around those parts. Yeah, so, like basically for, um, like the, the venue in Edison was – by the Edmund time Sports Club. That, Inman Sports Club. They were running that venue, what, 2006, I 2005, think? 2005. Final Battle 2005. Oh, okay. So that, that was, that was low-key versus um, uh, Kenta, which was yeah. one of the best matches in company history. And Brian Danielson versus Naomichi Marafuji was the, were the double main event on that show. That was mm-hmm. Final Battle 2005. Aries and Strong winning the tie titles, a few other things like yes, that. Yes, from yeah. Tony Mamaluke and uh, – Sal Renaro. Sal Renaro, yeah. yeah. Which, um, yeah. yeah. But the, the – so, so that show was – like if I walked there, it would have taken like a half hour from my, yeah. like yeah. driving there was five minutes from my, right. my dad's house where I lived at the time. So that right. like when they moved there, that was like, for me, that was great for convenience sake. But like, I, I always hated that venue. I don't know. I see. <laughs> like, that's the thing. Everyone, fucking stupid. everyone hated that venue. I, I thought it was cool because there was a lot of space on the floor. Cause it was on that like deck hockey rink, you know? Yeah. And then um, you you kind of had like it was hard. You had the bottleneck. I, I always thought if it ever caught on fire, we were all dead. Oh yeah, there was only one way out, and you had the bottleneck through that one little door there to get out of the hockey area and get up onto the uh, um, whatever it was that elevated platform to get out of the building. But um, it was they just sold an old. They sold the sale, but they sold the sold the sale pizza. And, yeah, the, the famous ROH pizza. Yeah, which oh, which God. I think they delivered at three o'clock in the afternoon. Didn't sell to you until <laughs> nine o'clock. So it was it always so like fucking bad. Yeah. I mean, like I will say, they they always had, they were always nice enough to not. They didn't gouge us on the fucking price. Like they would sell it for two dollars a slice, which you know 
isn't that much different than you would pay at a pizzeria at the time and you'd expect at an right. event like that to pay like five dollars a slice or something yeah but oh oh dodger said to run home i think <laughs> watching the game live on the air here um but yeah like the they they didn't gouge you but it was just so disgusting like the yeah. only time i would eat it is if, I, if like i would go to the show and i just had not eaten all day long i was just desperate i'd be like fine i'll eat their fucking cold and shitty pizza <laughs> it's like it, 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 the roh pizza it really was the worst um <laughs> But but yeah, and and then also there was that horrendous projection screen TV up there where if, if you weren't interested in what match was going on, you can kind of watch from behind the glass. And then there was that TV up there where they'd usually have like a Yankee game on or something. But it was just an old sports club, which where people went to play racquetball, and it just it it, it was never up. It looked like something straight out of the 1960s. Yeah, you know, it, the, it looked the, like the you were. Go, it looked like where like people from the 60s would go to fucking go swimming and shit or play golf yes. or it look like a country club or something yeah, yeah it, was, it was a it was a weird ass it was I, I think the weirdest thing they ever ran not the worst but the weirdest one i ever went to i think yeah it was definitely a bizarre venue the only bathrooms were you had to share bathrooms with the wrestlers which was always awkward um which was funny by the way when you guys you guys were talking once about how you never saw brian danielson i did see i did see brian danielson pissing there one really time. Yeah, I saw. Well, there you go. Yeah, because I, you know, we always talk about we talked about on the flagship how, in all those years of me going to those shows, it's like you, you would always run into these ROH wrestlers just meandering around or taking a piss or buying a water or buying a slice of horrible pizza, but you kind of knew who knew how to retain their star aura because I never once saw Brian Danielson or Samoa Joe wandering around with the rest of the plebes. I never saw that, um, and 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 it just made me wonder: did they know how to retain their star aura by? holding in their piss or doing, you know, you, you know, taking extreme measures or pissing out behind the building or whatever, because I, I you know, <laughs> That's what I think they were doing. I think they're pissing behind the building. Yeah. I mean, you would just never see those guys until their music hit. So it's funny that you actually did see Danielson. Yeah. I saw Danielson at least one time in Inman Sports Club. So, and that's what um, bothers me about modern indie shows. I don't think they're retaining the star aura anymore. And I, I do think, look, I get it. They have to sell t-shirts. They have to sell uh, pictures and that's a large part of their income, but it's a shame. And we can't put that toothpaste back in the tube. I understand, but I I, I really wish, you know, in some ways we can go back to the days where you didn't see a guy until his music hit. You know, I don't like watching guys wander around in their basketball shorts Mm -hmm. and a t-shirt you know, and and you see that they're smaller than you and it's just, they don't come off as, you know, we've kind of lost that, but I get it. You know, but see, probably, now I, so you didn't—they're making more the, money selling merch than they are working the match, probably. So, so now you didn't go to any of the gatherings, huh? Like the Ring of Honor board, because I because I used to see all the Ring of Honor guys. Like a lot of them go to the gatherings. I did not. I ain't going to any okay. of that stuff now. So I did go to. I didn't go to every single one, but I did go to a few. I did go to a, num, a number of them. It's actually, the, the, I I it's like when I first started talking to Jr. in here, like I knew him because I met him at these gatherings like years and years and years ago. So like it was, it was like we kind of recognized each other on Twitter before. Oh, that's you know, funny. Not, not knowing that we were, yeah, that's that's happened. I was probably at all these shows with you guys, and you just yeah. Years later, you don't, you know what I mean? It's like it's 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 kind of crazy. Were you see? So were you were you weren't like a celebrity fan or anything, right? Like one of these no, I minded my own business. I mean, like I, I I still like there's people from that era. This just happened with Bix the other day. I don't know if you saw this, where Bix like we were talking that that story about how Super Dragon like tried to pull me over the barricade by my hair during yes. that CW thing. Yes. And Bix replied, but like, wait a second, you're exhaust? And it was like, yeah. why is, first yeah. of all, did you, did you think, 
Why is me being the same person as this form poster you know of from like 10 years ago so shot like the way he said it it sounded like i just he just found out that like i shot the president or something right like right. why is this that shocking like, i think what, i think what we all don't realize is really how small our circle is yeah it's really just we're all the same fucking dorks that we were 10 years ago and, and you were talking about this on the flagship with rich how like uh, 10 years ago like the only people really watching Ring of Honor were us, you know? Right, correct. Like, that was the audience, was us newsletter, you know, Japanese wrestling fucking dorks. Like that yes. was it. Yeah, so. yeah. It was a newsletter crowd for sure. And now it isn't anymore. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but, but yeah, um, no, I, so I started going to Ring of Honor shows in 2005. And then from that point, I went to every show in Edison, Philadelphia and New York City until 2009 when I moved to Texas. Okay, so you were so we had a ton of the same shows. I started a little bit earlier. I started like um, the very first uh, the very first show I went to was the Paul London and Brian Danielson two out three fall show in 2003. Oh yeah. Um, so I didn't go to every single Philly show that I went to like a few, but I went to that one and the the Joe Daniels World Title Match one. I think it was Lloyd by Honor. And Final Battle, which was like the All Japan show, which is like at the time, here I am in 2003 being like, ah, great mood. Like, I'm like, this is the greatest Japanese wrestling related thing I'll ever see live, probably. Yeah. <laughs> Little did I know, like, what was to come. Yeah, right. Um, yeah. But you, you, you missed Joe Kobashi then, right? <sighs> <laughs> it, it's, you know, I, t- I've, I talk about it on the flagship. Uh, <laughs> I, I thought about going. I didn't go and like, it's legitimately, I don't know if this says more about me, (laughs) but, but no, but in all honesty, it's legitimately one of my life's great regrets that I didn't go to that show because I'll never see Kenta Kobashi work a pro wrestling match. It's just that that, that I'll never see that. And I had the opportunity and I blew it off and people I know went and I didn't go. And, and really from that point forward, it's one of the things I harp on on our show. If you have a chance to see a legend, yeah, you go, you go. I don't care how old they are. I don't care how broken down they are. You go because you, you, you want those life experiences. If wrestling means as much to you as it means to people like us and anyone listening to this fucking show, I would say, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like you're yeah. pretty deep in the bubble if you're listening to this shit, okay, which is named after a Japanese uh, restaurant gimmick. <laughs> Where, where you don't know what the chef is going to say. Look, we get we get a solid like four thousand list, like a three two to four thousand. This show does very yeah. well. I mean, yeah. you're 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 on the cusp of earning some ads, buddy. Get those oh. fucking vocal cords ready. You're going to be reading some fucking. Uh, you're going to be shilling some razors and boxed meals soon. So uh, be okay. prepared for that. But okay. uh, but no, but yeah, but seriously, it, it's one of my life. It's one of my life regrets that I didn't go to that show and it really motivated me to go to the shows that had Masawa on them a few years later. And imagine if I hadn't gone oh, to those either. So, oh, that was so awesome too. Like yeah. I, I don't, I don't, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a, you know, I'm an enormous dork and this is the kind of thing I would do, but like Masawa was one of the ones, like I, I almost cried when he came out. Like when that piano hit, like I almost, like I'm sitting on, in this box in this balcony and I almost wept. <laughs> Finally, Cause I already been watching this guy for like five years or something. Like by the time he came, and it's just like, uh, and I got, I got, I gone back and watched all. This. So it's like this legend, just like his music hits. Like I don't know, I don't know how to describe. Have, it. have you ever heard my story of the Masawa Kenta? It was Masawa versus Kenta. Yeah. The title. I think that's the match you're talking about. Unless you saw the tag match. The next I saw. Match. I saw both. But yeah. I so did I. Yeah. But yeah. I, the Masawa Kenta match, 
And um, I don't know if you've ever heard this story, but you know, you know, I'm notorious for never sitting in a seat. I stand in the back of the building and along a wall. Yeah, and it's just how I like to watch. I because I like to not only watch the match, I like to watch the crowd. I'm a weirdo mm-hmm. like that. I like to, you know what I mean. I like to take it all in. So I'm so anyway. I'm back by the merch table in my usual spot, just watching the show, minding my own business by myself. And Masawa comes out, and everybody stands up, right? And everyone then gets on their chairs, right? Yeah. And I can't see shit because I'm on the floor. <laughs> but listen, see, see, I don't think you've heard this story because you're gonna love this. Okay. So, so who's standing on a chair right next to me? It's Morishima. Oh my god. Because he, because he came out to watch, right? So he's standing on a chair and he sees me stretching my neck. So he turns to me and he taps me on the shoulder and he points to the chair. Wow. And Morishima gives me his chair to stand on. Wow. And then he and then he couldn't see. You know, so, so he's like, I'm the only dummy in the building, not standing on a chair. He recognizes it. And he says, he sees this fan and I had a little moment with Takeshi Morishima, you know, (laughs) and, uh, and he gave me his chair and then I was able to watch the match from, from, you know, from the back of the building while he stood there and stretched his neck and could barely see anything. That's incredible. Yeah. So that, that was kind of a cool moment. And then, uh, do I feel bad about burying the guy for the next eight years on the podcast? No, I do not. Uh, I gotta be, but, but no, that was, that was a cool moment though, you know? So, uh, um, yeah, I went to both of those shows too. The, uh, the, the tag match ended, I believe in a time limit draw, if I'm not mistaken, Yeah, yeah that's correct. which, which got some groans from the crowd, but I didn't listen. They could have, you're seeing but Mr. Harbusawa who fucking cares if there's a finish or not. He's just, you're just getting to see Misawa. Hey, man. You, Ring of Honor fucking sucks. I'm sorry. You did the rant I was going to do because I didn't give a fuck what the finish was that night. Oh, uh, people, you, you're getting me mad all over again, too, because the people who fucking complained about Kobashi not needing the burning hammer to beat Samoa Joe, you're seeing one of the greatest wrestlers of all time have this amazing fucking match with one of the best at the time and you're fucking complaining that he didn't use the right finisher for you. That like, never, that never crossed my mind. And here's the other thing. Did it hurt Samoa Joe at all? No. And people, people really lost their shit too. When Kobashi yeah. beat Kenta with the burning hammer, I think like a few months later or something. And again, right. who fucking cares? What is yeah. wrong with some of these people? Yeah. Like yeah. That, I, you're getting me angry. This is 11 years later or 12 years later. And I'm still remembering now how fucking mad I was when I was reading that shit. You know, this, this must be what it's like. This must be what it's like for rich. This is having somebody else <laughs> scream on a podcast. I like this because now I'm in the rich role of just shutting up and getting out of the way and letting the magic happen. You know oh, what I mean? I, it's, I, I just fucking, uh, I can't believe these fucking, the, and, and there is also that weird strain of ring of honor fan that like hated um, having the Japanese wrestlers around and like hated, you know, that, that they would come off as bigger stars. And again, it's like be, instead of being happy that they're blessing your fucking 600 fan indie with their presence, you're fucking complaining because the ring of honor guys have to lose. Like what the fuck is wrong with you? No, that, um, that, those two Misawa matches are, my two favorite live experiences as a pro wrestling fan. And obviously I've been to hundreds of hundreds and hundreds of shows. Yeah. I'll never forget that, you know? Yeah. And, and, and unfortunately part of it is because he died a year later, yeah. but I mean, you know, that feat, but, but whatever, you know, a memory is a memory, you know? And, and that to me is, is I'll, I'll never forget um, um, seeing that guy live twice, you know? And, and, and I, and I deeply regret not going to that Kobashi Joe match. I mean, it's something that bothers me to the, it will bother me until the day I die. Yeah. 
I mean, like I always tell people, like when I, when I was trying to convince you to go to Japan this year, it's like you never know how long yeah. you're gonna have to see these people. Like yeah. let's say let's say Katsuyori Shibata never wrestles again, which is you know despite what you know things could happen, but that's still a very strong possibility. Of course. And, and you know, like I I'm gonna. It's not like I saw him do anything that special. I saw him in a Kurokin like ten man in 2016, and then I saw him in, like, a 10-minute match with Tenzon, but at least I got to see one of my all-time favorites, like, in the fucking ring before his career might have ended. So, like, that's why I always tell people, like, if you have the chance to go, if you have, if you love this stuff enough to want to go, if you have the chance to go, you should do it. Yeah, yeah, and and and, and if a legend comes around within driving distance, go. You yeah. gotta go. I mean, I, you know, you know, a lot of people know that Satoshi Kojima might be my favorite wrestler of all time. And, and, you know, he, when he had the NWA title, he did a little U S swing there in these little shindy groups, you know, and he defended the NWA title against Houston Carson for <laughs> NWA Houston. And, uh, you know, there couldn't have been more than 300 fans there. And many of them had no clue who he was, but, um, that's the only time I've seen him live. It, it may wind up being the only time I see him live. And it was just such a thrill to me to see one of my favorite wrestlers of all time in the flesh, even though it was a two and a half star match and nothing special, but that didn't matter, man. You know, it yeah, was just, no, I, I, I agree. I mean, I'm like I said, Shibata, Shibata Tenzon wasn't anything special, but at least I got to fucking see him. Yeah. <laughs> I just, the first time he walked out that Kirk in that 10 man, like those Kirk, like that Kurokin was was like as nothing as a New Japan Kurokin could have been in 2016. Like it was really nothing on that show at all. But and I was also still like jet lagged as hell because I I basically landed and then went straight to Kurokin Hall. Like I went to my hotel, checked in, didn't dare take a nap because I know I'd be asleep for like 12 hours, and then went straight to Kurokin Hall. So like I'm jet lagged like crazy. But just being in that building, even for like a a below average New Japan Kurokin, like you're just too busy being like, you know, mouth agape. Right. I'm a in Kurokin fucking hall. Yeah, you know? exactly. And it's like, right. I, I, I'm going, I, listen, I'm going to go someday. I don't know if it's going to be in a year or 10 years or 20 years. I'm going to go to Japan. You're going to hold my hand the whole time. April, um, April, 2019. That's the next time I'm going, you know, and, 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 and I, but I have to make it happen because I've have to get to that building. I just have yeah. to get to that building. And oh, it's so great. I love it so much. And and it's only gotten better now too, since they, they fixed the chair problem. So, <laughs> I mean, well, you're a from, grizzled, you're a grizzled <laughs> veteran at this point, you know, I know I've been there. I've been there twice now. So like, that's, I mean, that, that sounds, doesn't sound like much, I guess, but like compared to most of, the fandom, I guess I'd probably been, I might as well been there like a hundred times. Yeah, Are these, cra- these people, these people like fucking Jojo and yeah. Milo who get to live there and like yeah. go to all these fucking shows. Like those are the real, like uh, the ones that have us all beat. I feel but, great for Milo bouncing around Japan, oh, literally. Oh, he's this point. He seems like he's having so much fun already, but yeah. But yeah, I mean like, you know, just, but just to go there twice and get to see all these fucking shows, it, it was incredible. I wish I didn't get sick on the last trip, but other than that. Can't you really visualize bad. Milo storming out of Yokohama when Eddie Edwards beat <laughs> Oh, I definitely can. I definitely can. I don't even need to see footage of it. I can see it in my mind. Like he just, the fall happens and he just turns and, and he's gone. Yep. Like that's it. He's just like, this fucking white guy wanted just leaves. <laughs> I, want, I want to go to Dove Pro with Milo. Yeah. Yeah, but I I wish Milo was was there when I got there, but we miss each other by like a month, basically. What are you gonna do? Like I I basically had to do the G one once, but like 
I cannot recommend this enough to people. Do not follow my lead. Go go when Japan go when like walking outside in Japan isn't like fucking dying. Because yeah. it's so fucking dead. like they I, I thought I was ready for the humidity, but it was still a level beyond anything I could have ever expected. So You know, I'm coming from Texas. It can't be any worse. Oh, trust me. I mean, I've been in Florida, which is just, I think, just as bad as Texas. Yeah. So, I like, it, it was still worse. It was still I mean, I've been in Texas, although not, I didn't, I lived in, I basically missed the summer, thankfully. Like, I lived in Austin from, like, September to, like, May or something. So, it but was, yeah, but, like. It was pushing 100 degrees as of last week. It just now yeah. cooled down to, like, the mid-80s, you know. It's, but, it's, but, like, but is it 100 with, like, 90% humidity, though? Yes, yes. Okay, exactly. well, that, but that, that I guess it's the same thing. Because Japan was like that. It was, like, 90-plus percent humidity. There were days that were okay, and then there were days, like, you would walk outside and just be fucking dead. And you'd be like, I don't want to go anywhere. I don't want to do anything. This is fucking terrible. Yeah. So I'm just not going to – I did it once, but, like, I'm not going to do it again. Like the other trip I went on when we went in April, that was perfect. It's like the weather's like 60s, you know, the, the, um, everything is gorgeous because you have these sock, these cherry blossom trees everywhere. Um, just everything is just so nice. And then on top of that, you know, you can go to Invasion, you know, well, now Soccer Genesis, but used to be Invasion Attack, um, plus the All Japan Champion Carnival opener, plus, you know, I don't, Big Japan had some show. I'll be honest. I, I wouldn't care what shows I saw. Yeah, you know what I mean. It's kind of like you're saying. Even an average Corican is just going to yeah. be such a cool experience. I would really go any time of year just to for the first time anyway, yeah. and then maybe the second time I'd want to see the big stuff. I mean, I, I will say the only thing I missed on this past trip was not seeing New Japan at Corican because New Japan at Corican is like a cool vibe that I that you know. I mean, obviously the Sumo Hall shows are better. But just seeing New Japan guys in that small of a venue was really cool. It's like seeing a band in an, in an intimate environment. It's the same yeah. kind of deal, you know, yeah. rather than in an arena somewhere. So, so that's what—that's the other reason why I think the 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 Soccer Genesis time is perfect because you can you can go to a Corican and Soccer Genesis. Whereas the way they do the G1 now, there was no way to go to the Corican and go to the Sumo Hall shows. Like I just don't have that many vacation days for one. Yeah, but but yeah, I mean. Uh, but like, if you pick like a two or three week time, I think that that's a really good one. So I want to do that one again. But um, but we're not here to talk about what well what else were you going to talk about? I guess like our Ring of Honor experience, what we were talking about. And yeah, we were you. So you and I stopped watching right around the exact same time too. You because you moved to Texas, me because I just fucking got tired of them. And you know what's um, funny is I I moved to Texas the weekend that I moved to Texas was the Houston. 2009 Houston WrestleMania weekend. And the first wrestling show I saw in Texas was a ring of honor show. Oh, wow. WrestleMania weekend was the, uh, the show with the Kenta Davy Richards match with the botched finish with the reverse go to sleep. That didn't work out. I've never and, even seen this. <laughs> and the, uh, it, w- it would have been a five-star match. Had they not botched the finish? That's the big knock on it. Kenta tried to do a reverse go to sleep with, with to hit Davy in the back of the head with the knee mm. and they botched it. They tried it a second time and botched it. And Kenta just picked them up in anger and gave them a traditional go to sleep to end the match. And it kind of ended up finishing flat. And the main event of that was, uh, you know, Jerry Lynn winning the ROH title from Nigel McGinnis. Oh, good. <laughs> so, you know, and that's the famous show that had the fire alarm going off for half the show when I had my run in with Brian Alvarez. So that was all uh, okay. the same night. But, uh, but yeah, it was funny how I moved Brian to Texas. Brian Alvarez, we talked about Dave Meltzer before. Yeah. Whether or not he would watch more or less wrestling if he wasn't doing the thing. Brian Alvarez, I feel confident saying, would watch less. 
He might watch zero. <laughs> yes. But he's anyway. Here's the thing. He takes a lot of shit, okay? And I get it. He's being paid to do this. But he's someone who really just feels like he wants to move on from this. And there's really nothing wrong from that except from the fact he's getting paid to do this. That's yeah. the problem. So, uh, yeah, but, I don't want to pick on Brian too much. I know, but I just thought that was – I just – yeah, I should have said that back when you said the Dave Meltzer. I, I still like – some like I don't really listen to the F4W stuff nearly as much as I used to, just because I don't I don't need to hear people breaking down WWE that much. But and I got nothing against Brian Alvarez, I guess. But um, but yeah, the Ring of Honor stuff, you know, like you said, you so that was the first show you ever went to in Texas. You and you know, so we were there for a lot of the same stuff. Is is Ring of Honor how you got introduced to the Japanese wrestling? We were already watching the Japanese wrestling. No, so we'd have to go backwards for that to my ECW days. Once I started going to, like I said, I was reading newsletters by then. I was reading the Torch. Once I started going to ECW shows, I got introduced. um, I started. uh, I got introduced to the Observer, and most importantly, I got introduced to the RF Video newsletters. Ah, I see. So So you were buying their tapes. Well, yeah, I was buying from RF, and that's how I, 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 you know, um, um, actually, you know, I got into tape trading around that time, too, Um, but that was more um, old terror, like the dying days of the, like, I would trade for Smoky Mountain tapes and USWA, like Memphis tapes. That wasn't so much Japanese. The Japanese and the Lucha, because I was, I was big into Lucha in the mid-90s, because. Oh, yeah, look, look, look who what it was. I mean, Jesus. Well, yeah, like, sure like a lot of, yeah, that's because like a lot of people at the time, I got all wrapped up in the AAA yeah. and their expansion and the When Worlds Collide pay-per-view and the Conan stuff and the Jake Roberts stuff and all that. So I was getting Lucha tapes from RF more so than, than, uh, than Puro tapes. Um, you know, all that, you know, Conan started up that crazy Tijuana promotion that was like doing ECW stuff. He, he ripped off a lot of the ECW ideas and brought them to Tijuana and he was booking people like Rey Mysterio Jr. and all these guys. And he was running a promotion in Tijuana and those tapes were, they were all these crazy handhelds where all the matches turned into riots. It was just, you know, ridiculous stuff. And then, uh, and, and again, yeah, by then I had heavily gotten into all Japan because that was all Japan's heyday or at least the back end of it. Um, so, you know, through tape trading and RF video, you know, my next real love was All Japan and the Four Pillars. And then uh, that transitioned, obviously, from the Exodus. I then got in heavily. Noah might be my favorite promotion of all time, which is why I still have a soft spot for Noah to this day when a lot of people have given up on it is because, you know, everyone thinks that I'm the rah-rah New Japan cheerleader. You know I'm a Noah guy at heart. I, yeah. I you know, I was with Noah from day one, and I've always been a big Noah fan, and that's really where my heart is. You know, um, so, you know, all Japan transitioned to Noah and then that kind of transitioned into the ROH era that we talked about. So I was into Pearl before I was into ROH. Gotcha. So I, me, I like, like I said, I started with Noah and, and you were, you were also a big Dragon Gate guy too, eventually. Dragon Gate came a little later. It came around the same time as Ring of Honor. Um, I guess I wasn't into the early Turiamons. I was aware of it, but I wasn't a huge fan of it. I got into Dragon Gate once it was Dragon Gate proper, probably around like the, uh, um, I guess the the, um, the, the I, I don't know. I'm trying to think what units were around when I really started watching every episode well, of Infinity. Year, I could tell you. Uh, probably like uh, 2005ish. I really got so that, into that. Would have been that would have been Blood Generation. Yeah. Blood Generation, like a Typhoon yeah. is ringing a bell. That was like oh six. Typhoon was yeah. Typhoon was uh, no. Typhoon was oh seven. Okay, so a little later. Yeah. So yeah. so around oh five is when I really went all in on the uh, you know the the Turiamon universe. I guess so. Yeah. 
But uh, so I was there, like I said, right? Kind of not from the start, like from 2002. And I always yeah. kind of watched them off and on. But um, like yeah, the time I, I really did check out like half a year in 2004, which I think if you go back and watch the Toriumon early 2004 stuff, you'd understand why. Because that, that year was just like fucking, I don't know. It was not fun at all. Mm. I, again, easier running around and like taking down the ring on every show and choking people with ring ropes. It just wasn't. Yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't a fun time. But once it changed over to Dragon Gate, I kind of like slowly drifted back in. And then by the time you get 2005, like the same time you're getting into it, like that's a great fucking year too, with like all the uh, all the blood generation versus do fixer stuff. So, yeah, and then the next year they came to Ring of Honor. Yeah, the next year they came to Ring of Honor, and then they really, and then I think that's when a lot of people really discovered it. You know, yeah. through those great matches in Ring of Honor. If you were if you were active at the time online, like on the on the Dragon Gate, um, like if you're already reading Jade's website, um, it was so obvious how much he fucking hated the Ring of Honor crossover. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah. he fucking hate. Like I don't think he would even even take issue with me saying this because I I really. But you know what? It was it was important for the promotion though. I mean, yeah, it, no, it, no, no, it, for sure. But like, like I just think you know, here he is running this thing that um was like this punk rock like um totally under the radar like very hardcore thing for people who like you know i like i i followed his site all the way back from when he was ending it on a fucking dreamcast and like it always felt like this it was just this thing he wanted to do almost like the way you would have a fan site for like a fucking local band you know that's the vibe it always gave to me like the yeah. site was the site was always ugly which you know again he'd be the first one to admit this the site was always like, you know, it was this local band that had like a bunch of local band fans. And all of a sudden this local band makes it big, you know, and all of a sudden everybody's coming to you for information on this. And they're asking you what to you is like a hundred thousand stupid questions. And they're like, you know, asking you all about like when they're going to come back to Ring of Honor and you have no fun. Like, I remember that was a question that used to drive him crazy. It was like, yeah. when do they come back to Ring of Honor? He's like, how the fuck should I know? But like, <laughs> he, would get, he would get that question like 10 times a week, I think. Yeah. Like, obviously he can tell you better, but like that, I just remember him. He, he always had like a, a certain tone in his, in his posts on there anyway. But like whenever he talked about ring of honor is always like a <sighs> ring of honor, like mm-hmm. tone. but it's like, and what a lot of people don't remember is the, uh, the famous six man match, obviously that, op- that there was a lot of people's first exposure to that style, which I think is why it won match of the year and all those sorts of things. Yeah. And the big running joke is to dragon gate fans. That wasn't the best dragon gate match of the year, let yeah. alone the best match in wrestling. It match. wasn't the best dragon gate match with those six participants. Right. But because it was, <laughs> because it was people's first exposure to it and they went all out and they did all the, look, they were very smart in the way they worked yeah. that match, though. Yeah. Cause they knew they were working in front of fresh eyes and, 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 and they went out there to dazzle those fresh eyes and they succeeded. But what a lot of people don't remember is that was kind of the middle show of those three shows because the first, it was bookended by a couple of blood generation versus generation next tags on the other two shows that were excellent as well. Yeah. Uh, that a lot of people never talk about anymore. I think. And one of them was a title match. I think strong and Aries defended against two of the blood generation guys on the third show. And on the first yeah. show, they set that match up with a blood generation generation next match, you know? So there was other interesting stuff with the dragon gate dudes on those shows other than that six man. And that wasn't even the main event. The main event of that show was Danielson strong for the title. Yeah. And then, and then on the third show, it was the Lance Storm Brian Danielson match, which yeah, was which, the, the the big drawing match. So, yeah. so those were just to me those I, I loved all three of those shows. Yeah. Um, you know, just as as ROH shows plus with the Dragon Gate crossover as a Dragon Gate fan, 
I had the, I thought that shit was cool. And I thought yeah. those were awesome shows. And I think that was the pinnacle of the ROH at WrestleMania weekend stuff. Oh was, yeah, for sure. I mean, I did, you know, that's those the, Chicago shows to me are almost the pinnacle of the company to a degree. Cause like, I, I don't know if it ever, it ever clicked on that level with, for three nights like that with the, with the guest stars, with the, like, I, I don't know. Like I, I went to a lot of Ring of Honor shows before and after, and I don't know if anything ever came close to those three Chicago shows that, you know, I mean, I was there for those. So like, yeah, I, I don't know if anything I ever, and I attended a lot of Ring of Honor shows. So, so you went I, to all three, you went to the one in Detroit too? Or no, 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 I was there for the second, third nights. Only. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah, I, went to so, the, I went to the two Chicago ones. So, yeah. Which is still yeah, awesome. I mean, I mean, I'm envious yeah. of you. I'm envious of you that you went to those shows. Do you remember that on those shows that fucking Oink worked those shows? Jake and Dave Christ worked those worked at least one of those shows. Yeah, I remember. At, at the original Irish Airborne before they went, you know, changed their gimmick or whatnot. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's funny looking back on some of these old shows at some of the weird names that you Jimmy, know, the, Jimmy Yang had a run around them. Jimmy Yang faced uh, Saito uh, in a singles match on one of those three. I don't know if it was one of the ones you went to, but uh, I don't. I don't remember. But like, yeah, the, the the the. I mean, the last no, definitely wasn't because the last night it was uh, the the night two that you know the first one I went to was the six man, and then the last night was the three do fixer guys against um, Jimmy Rave, Alex Shelley, and Masato Yoshino. Yes. I actually liked better than the, the, the Dragon Gate six man night too. Like, I that, that that's what I mean. There's there's yeah. other there's like three or four other Dragon Gate matches on that little tour that were awesome that no one yeah. ever talks about anymore, uh, which is understandable. I get it, but um, you know they're well worth going back and watching. But yeah, I mean like I like so for me like same thing as you like I was already a Dragon Gate fan for like four years at that point. So to have all these this crossover like that was that was incredible. And then you know before that we had Milano Collection AT there for like six months or something, which he, yes. he unfortunately like left the promotion in part because they were booked. They, they had the dragon gate thing going, but while he was there, that was incredible too. And he, he was, you know, people who know me, he's one of my all time favorites. Like he was one of the things that got me into Japanese wrestling in the first place. He was in the main event of like the very first, like full Japanese show I ever watched. So, you know, that was incredible. It's just like all the stuff I was doing at the time was incredible. And then the dragon gate thing just kind of died. <laughs> And it yeah. was like the kind of the beginning of the end for me with Ring of Honor. But um, once but yeah, they I mean, went, once once Adam Pierce took over, and once they went to HD Net, it just was a different promotion from that point forward. Yeah, but I never, I never watched the HD Net era. Like that was really the end for me. Yeah. So, but but the of the glory days, like, you know, it did feel like you know we're, we're talking about three promotions here, and it felt like you know these three promotions are connected. You know, like you could watch Ring of Honor and Dragon Gate and Noah and feel like you were watching these connected promotions. And in a lot of ways, I feel like they did a better job. You know, they did a better job booking those Dragon Gate and Noah guys than the Ring of Honor books a lot of the New Japan guys now, even when they're arguably closer. And it's funny because um, you're right. They, they, they did feel like they were all intersected somehow. And it was, um, it, and, and it was at those Ring of Honor merch tables when everybody else was scrambling for Ring of Honor DVDs that I was going right to the Noah DVDs. Yeah. Because they only had a couple of each show. They would put the, the – the, we talked about this off air before we started recording. But in those days, Noah had a U.S. office in Hawaii. Yeah, and they would produce these English language DVDs of the Budokan Hall shows, and Wally Yamaguchi, who who cut off Val Venus's <laughs> dick in WWE, was one of the commentators, and uh, he was horrible, by the way. But 
uh, it was English language Noah on DVD, and I didn't have to wait for people to put shit on the early days of YouTube or look for some sketchy upload. So this is this and is cool. Just what I want. Well, keep going, actually, because then I want to transition. And I would and I would wait for these shows to pop up and sh- and then go to these Ring of Honor shows and go right to the merch table, crossing my fingers. This was a different era, you know. Yeah. You didn't know when they were just going to show up, and and you know you'd get these Budokan Hall shows, and you would try to avoid the results even, you know, until you got the DVD in your hand. And it, it was, uh, and I'll never forget. It was during that era when you know Samoa Joe had his title shot against Masawa. And the big deal at the time was they could not put that match on the DVD because TNA would not allow it. They would not allow Samoa Joe to be on another company's DVD. So it was still frame shots of the match at the end of the DVD of Samoa Joe and Masawa. And I remember being annoyed and all my friends being annoyed. And then uh, Meltzer explained in a newsletter, you know, a couple weeks later that they couldn't put that match on there. But I've got... All of those Budokan Hall shows from 2007, 2008, around that time, all on DVD through ROH shows and them selling yeah. them at the merch table. Yeah, I remember. I didn't I didn't buy as many as you did. I don't think I just – I was already used to downloading stuff online at that point. But so that's a good transition out of like where we were getting our stuff because obviously you know, the, the, way, the way that you were able to watch Japanese wrestling has evolved a lot over the years. Um, you know, you talked about tape trading. Okay. So early on, like I said, I, I used to buy all these tapes from the, the Mayfield dude. And, you know, he had mostly comps that you would go to Jersey All Pro with. But after that, it was a lot of, uh, you know, he'd have some full shows and stuff too. And then after that, I've discovered that this Japanese mall I talked about a lot. Um, it was in like Edgewater or Bridgewater, like some town with fucking water on the end. It was like right on the edge of New York and New Jersey or New York City and New Jersey. So, um, you know, had this big mall that was like mo- – mostly for like recent Japanese immigrants to go and like, you know, buy their, buy Japanese groceries. And, and they had like this little rental store and I'd be like the one white person in there, like renting these, these Jap, these Japanese wrestling shows. Cause they were just, they basically tape stuff off the air on Japanese television and have it, you know, on first on tape. And then very, they switched to DVD very early on in DVD, I feel like. And, you know, you could rent them or buy them or whatever. And I'd be like the one white person there because they had all the Japanese wrestling off of Japanese TV. So that was my source for a while. And I'd say like, um, maybe by the time the internet, st- like I used that for a long time. And then, you know, Pure Rescue Fan kind of came along. Do you, were you on the Pure Rescue Fan board, Joe? I lurked. Lurked because yeah, so did I basically. And like they had like a tape, like a, a, a you know, like a download form that you had to be a member to get into. And that was like the first the first place I really saw like wrestling downloads. Is they'd have these shows that they upload like Mega Upload or yeah. Send Space. And all these shows. They would take like you know eight hours to download. Oh no, the be, best. Like, three- no, no, the best is hitting download on something, going to work in the morning, coming home twelve hours later, and it's at eight percent. And you just want to, <laughs> you know, and it's just, you just want to, you know, stab yourself in the heart. I mean, it's, I, I, I mean, I actually, I absolutely remember this. Like that, the early downloads was just, it was, they were so fucking slow. And, and, and the shows would be split into three parts. Yeah. You have to download each part of the show and try to guess where the matches were you wanted to see. All right. This match went on sixth. Is it going to be on the second part or the third part? Because <laughs> I could save three days of downloading time if I picked the right part. You know, and then uh, you would just give up. You'd give up because it would just stop downloading. If there was ever any issue with your internet, 
that was unforeseen, it would stop the download, you know, and you'd be like, fuck it, I'm just watching part two of this Tokyo Gurantai show, and I can live with it. I don't need to see the main event. I don't need to see it that bad. Okay, I'll live with not seeing no sour wrong guy this month. I'll I'll fucking live with it. You know, and there was no because so there was no way to resume these downloads. Yeah, because no. once if the download fucked up, because that would happen to me. Like the download would fuck up on ninety percent. It's like, oh, guess what? You're starting over, motherfucker. Because there's yep. no way to resume them. Like God forbid your internet died at like ninety five percent, which you know that that happened to me. So, the yeah, dirt you- fucking worst. It was such a horrible era for trying to get shit. Because it, you know what the worst part about it is? It was right in front of you, but you couldn't have it because it wouldn't download properly. And that's what was frustrating. You know, it was almost better just buying a sketchy DVD off of something. Yeah. So that was gonna say then then you had a lot of buying. So so at this point, what were you you were buying DVDs online too? When, like are, when, when, are, when are we talking? Like, like the- let's say for for me before the download era, like when I was going to Mitsua, where were you going for your for your stuff? I was probably still buying stuff and, and trading for stuff and, and just struggling with downloads and, and things of that nature. Gotcha. Um, so you should have, so. if you, if we had known each other back then, I could have told you about Mitsuwa. It would have been, would have been life changing. These fucking, you know, these fucking things were $3 per disc, Joe. That sounds all, yeah, that's incredible. You know, <laughs> not getting ripped off by someone three states away who knows he's got you over a barrel. You they're know? just, they're just trying to get these, fu- they're, they're, they're like being nice. Basically they're like, they're, they're, it's supposed to be for Japanese immigrants. Right. So like they're, but meanwhile, I'm this white person in there buying these fucking DVDs. Like so a feel closer to home, you know. Like here's yeah. some Japanese TV for it. You yeah. know, a few years before that, when I was still heavily in the tape trading, I would get. I don't know if you remember Bob Barnett. Um, he's not really on the scene much anymore. Uh, Anyone, I've heard the name. Yeah, anyone a little older than me would be familiar with him, but he used to put together comp tapes, six-hour, extra-long play VHS comp tapes from Japan, and he would do them, like, bi-monthly, like you would get a hold of the July-slash-August 1996 Bob Barnett Japan comp, but he would arbitrarily pick what to put on it. Yeah. So you're getting six hours of random pearl. You'd have an FMW match with Hayabusa, then you'd have an then you'd have the all Japan half hour TV. Then you'd have a new Japan match, which I always fucking like later on when new Japan fucking sucks. I hated, I couldn't stand new Japan once they got into the oh, shit. We're going we're to talk about that. I get, we got a question. Cause I, we got to get in the question soon. But I yeah, don't with them, but yes, yeah, you, but don't blow the, cause we, but neither, you, you may notice that neither of us are talking about new Japan during this period. No, not at all. Cause people like at the time don't like people who love Anoki stuff now, which I, I get it, but like at the time, no one like that was like the the shit that everybody made fun of. Yes, like Stewart was Stewart for Rampier Rescue fan would be like the one guy trying to get people to watch New Japan, and everybody made fun of New Japan at the time. Oh, oh, oh! Believe it me, was not popular with the American internet wrestling fans at all. The completest in me made sure that I watched the big stuff. Yeah, I did. I watched but, some of it. I mean, I watched a lot of it too. But I'm not going to sit here and tell you I liked it. Yeah. It was shit. Now, look, I, 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 look, I am not knocking anybody's tastes. I'm sure that there are certain niches out there who, who genuinely enjoy that style of wrestling, and that's fine. But I think I have an explanation for some of the others. It's, it's kind of like you talked about music earlier. I think the same thing with wrestling. You kind of, especially with Pearl, you kind of like the stuff that you discovered when you discovered Pearl. So if you discovered Pearl in that era, that's what you knew when you discovered it. And you're still going to have a certain nostalgic attachment to that era of new Japan, if that's what you came into Pearl uh, and discovered. But during that time, 
it sounds like me and you, I mean, I was, I was all in on Noah. Like I just a there's a lot, there's a lot of people now who are redis- who were not around then who really love the Anoki stuff. Well, that doesn't make sense to me. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of people like I've had Connor Dunphy on before. And I, I will say, if I go back and watch it now, I like it a lot more than I did at the time. Because I mean, we might as well just talk. Because someone asked about us, what we think about Enochianism sure. and, yeah. um, and like you know the that whole period. When I go back and watch it now, I I get it a little more than I did at the time, and I understand you know it's supposed to be a fucking fight, and they're you know they can end they can end any time. I, I I understand the appeal. It's still not my personal favorite style, but I I mean I can watch the shit out of Hashimoto in that period, and I can you know. The, the you know like the late nineties before the then early even early two thousand before he left for zero one like I can I I I can I love Hashimoto, um there's a lot of that stuff I can watch and I can really enjoy it, but at the time it wasn't what people were into like at the time people were not into watching like there was a lot of mockery for their the heavyweight New Japan style it was there was and, a lot of mockery and the other thing was if you were um a newsletter fan if you were a smart you knew it was a big mistake at the time. And you knew yeah. it was going to end badly. So there was that aspect to it too. Um, and the other thing, you know, forget about um, Anoki, just, you know, Anokiism and, and turning everything into shoot style and feeding people like Nagata to shooters. Forget all of that nonsense. I just preferred the pillars to Hashimoto, Mudo, and Chono. And I just yeah, always well, did. I, and I did too. I mean, and Chono, I, I never understood Chono. I never understood the appeal. I was I was kind of a Chono mark when I went back at the time. But like, I loved all that, like Black Charisma, NWO stuff. Like I, yeah. I saw Chono before I was even a Puro fan because I saw him um, when he would come over. Sure. And like I knew he was NWO Japan. So I always liked Chono a lot. But I mean, he wasn't like a, I wouldn't say he was like a my favorite in-ring wrestler or anything, but more like his charisma. You know, and guys like Takata, I never had interest. I just, it just didn't appeal to me at all. You know, Nobuhiko Takata and guys like that. I just never did a thing for me. I was all wrapped up in, in, in all Japan and Noah, you know, it just, you know, and, and, and the pillars and, and, and Akiyama and Kenta later on in Marafuji and, and, and yeah. people like that. That was just more my bag. You know, it's just, it's just, um, you know, yeah, at the time, at the time that was my thing too. It was like, just yeah. the Noah matches were just so much more fun and so much more exciting. And I was a huge Jun Akiyama mark. Like if you ever, I don't know if you even know what e wrestling is, but at the time, like if you looked at my uh, my fancy wrestlers move list, it was like I had regular exploder, exploder ninety eight, wrist yeah. clutch exploder, just like every fucking exploder because I loved you and Gamma. and yeah. That, yeah, that was that was who I was a mark for. And then obviously the Kobashi reign, I was a huge, very much into that. I was I loved Barafuji and Kenta, I loved Sua. You know, Suga, Suga, all those guys from that era. I mean, that that was just incredible. I'd say, like from from the very beginning, like I wasn't watching the start, but when I went back and watched a lot of it, from the very beginning of Noah to like what, like I don't know, seven or eight or something, when it really started going down, oh nine even, like that. That's a great period of time for, you know, not that occasionally, you know, like the undercards could be very dry, you know. Um, you had to get through a lot of really like nothing. Akatoshi Saito, yeah. Maseo in a way. Um, uh, in a way. You know, there, there's a flagship pronunciation for you. Um, you know, uh, uh, Sano at the end, who people yeah. loved uh, 10 years earlier, but I never liked that guy. Um, you know, and you'd have all those dudes in six man tags, and the undercards were bad yeah. because it was the, the older veterans that they were loyal to who they were keeping around. And, um, um, you know, uh, what was that guy? Shiga. Um, there's a bunch of in them. Tar- where in Taro Shiga, yeah. Yeah. And you like know, I, but at the time, it was perfect for what 
fandom was to me at the time because I, I would just not watch those. Like no one, no one was watching entire uh, shows live. So it was much easier to justify skipping like a fucking six or eight man tag that meant absolutely nothing to right. Than, right. than, it was, than it is now where I feel like, if you're, especially if you're watching a show live, but even when you're watching it like a few days after it happened or whatever, you almost feel obligated to watch the entire show. Like there's you know, very there's very I, few promotions I skip anything for these days. I know, like, and I, I'm glad you brought that up because this is how it's changed the way we watch wrestling and the way that we judge wrestling. It's like you know, there, there you know, I remember um, uh, Alan Cunahan was saying that he believes that this current era of New Japan has surpassed the All Japan Glory days, and I think a, a good part of his argument is that you know we didn't see the trash on the All Japan shows because they didn't air it, and yeah. we didn't watch the shows in full. We only saw the best of the best stuff. You know, we didn't see the champion carnival matches with Kamala too. No, we saw, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, uh-huh. it, but now we see Doc Gallows in a G1, you know, it's like, and we sit through it all. So you see more of the bad, even though on the flip side, you see all of the good. Whereas back then it was only the tapes you could afford or the stuff you got your hands on. So there's kind of a give and take for both eras in terms of, in terms of what we were consuming. Now we're consuming all of it. Yeah, you know? and and like you're saying, you could skip those horrible Noah six and eight man tags, and 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 you never. Well, I, I to- wanted to bring that up because I don't want people to say like we're watching so we totally rose colored glasses. Like to me, Noah was a continuation of '90s All Japan, where the main event stuff was incredible, um, and they built on it in the fact that the junior division was actually like good and worthwhile and really and really good at times. But the undercards were still like you know a lot of skippable shit. I would rather watch my main man, Yoshinobu Kanemaru, sleaze it up in Noah Jr. matches than watch any of that Enochism stuff. Uh, I, and, I, and I genuinely mean that. I mean, I'd rather watch Kanemaru and Kotero Suzuki have one of their sloppy junior matches. <laughs> you know, you get on a show with a nerd who corrects you on all these pronunciations. <laughs> and you mean, I just, I'm going to like give you a guide one day. Can I call Japanese you? is so easy. Every It's not like our shitty language. Every single fucking, uh, every single fucking character is pronounced exactly the same all the time. You know like, what I do a lot? Change. You know what I'll do a lot on the flagship? I'll know I'm wrong, so I'll pronounce it two different ways in the same sentence just to cover all bases. <laughs> I get it right one of the times. Uh, I'll just I'll just call him Mushi King Terry. Am I saying that properly? Or Mushi King Terry? Yeah, pretty much. There you go. So I'll just refer to Suzuki as uh, Mushi King Terry um, to, to satiate you here so you don't pick on me. But, uh, but yeah, I th- yeah, I thought the Noah Juniors were great then. I mean, I love the like, – Kanemaru is a guy who always gets picked on even now today, and I, I still like the guy. I, you know, just... uh, nowadays, he doesn't do a lot for me. But I, I get – back then, he was good. Um, but yeah, so Noah but, – but Noah, like, to, to put a bow on it, like, just an incredible period, and I think – you know, people who grew up with that, who were lucky enough to be around for that era, just got to see, you know, all that that Kobashi title reign. To to me, maybe maybe because the age I was when it when it was happening, but I don't know if anything will ever equal that Kobashi, that that period where Kobashi was on top as GFC. Every show you'd be like, okay, I get to see Kobashi as GFC Heavyweight Champion. I get to see Misawa and Ogawa as GFC Tag Team Champions when they had a really cool title reign with a lot of cool defenses. I get to see Marafuji and Kent as junior tag champions. And again, that uh, an incredible reign that overlapped with all this stuff. Like that, that I think is like maybe the best collection of champions of all time with, with those three all having at the same time. Yeah, it was, it was a great time, man. And I, it's like I said earlier, Noah's my jam. 
historically, you know, I've got this reputation of the new Japan guy, but if this podcast existed 10 years earlier, I'd have a reputation as a Noah cheerleader yeah, you know? or a ring of honor cheerleader or an ECW cheerleader. If it was a 1995 radio show, you know, that's kind of the point of what we're doing here. Yeah. It's, I don't really hold a, a super strong loyalty to any of these promotions. It's, it's, I'm going to watch what's good at the time and I'm going to bounce around. Yeah. And, you know, nowadays, obviously, we, New Japan is a dominant thing, but there's still a lot. There's a lot of really good. I mean, 2017 to me, Japan is having an incredible year and even above what happened in 2016. And, you know, when you look at all these companies drawing, you know, much better than they've drawn in the past, other than Noah, unfortunately. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it's just Japanese wrestling is having a really good year, like as good as it's had in a long, long time. And New Japan's a big part of that, but it's not the only part of it. So. <laughs> No, and it's helping the water raise the water level for everybody. Yeah, that's, I that's yeah, I firmly believe that. I firmly believe that theory too. Yeah, yeah. And you know they they when, you know like I said I I was I noticed a difference just from April 2016 to August 2017 going in both periods, like it did seem hotter. Like I saw wrestling shirts, you know, um, New Japan mostly Naito actually, uh, like I saw a Naito shirt at a concert that had nothing to do with wrestling, right? And I saw a Naito shirt just walking around um tokyo which that did not happen you know in april 2016 so you know like i i think it is a different level even a year i mean it could just be obviously it's a very small sample size it could be random luck but it felt to me like there was a palpable like uh a difference even yeah well it could be people who have been attracted to new japan during this era during this what we'll call the okada era i guess is 2012 yeah and it's sort of lit a fuse under them that they can't get enough and they've seen look just like me in the 90s watching ecw and i wanted more so i seeked out these tapes and because i couldn't get enough and it it opens you up to other things and maybe people are seeking out uh you know ddt or big japan or you know whatever else based but their gateway was new japan and that's awesome you know and then, so to, to, but Noah, you know, that was a cool period. And then obviously Dragon Gate, um, you know, we were into a, a lot of the same t- periods too. Um, you know, we don't really have a lot of time to talk about it, unfortunately, but. You know, you know what, it, it, very quickly on Dragon Gate, you know, ever since I picked up on Dragon Gate and in the mid aughts, I guess, it's never been sort of my number one love at any given time, but I always call Dragon Gate the ex-girlfriend I should have never broke up with. Because every time I go back and, you know, I'll forget about Dragon Gate and then I'll go back and, and get on a Dragon Gate kick and I'll be like, man, why do I why do I ever stop watching this? It's incredible. Dragon Gate never lets you down. It's always comfortable. I always slip right back into it like an old pair of shoes. It, 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 the best analogy I've ever come up with is it's the girl I should have never dumped. Because it's it, it 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 always satisfies me. It's always there for me. It's always comfortable. But I always get attracted to the shiny new thing. Yeah. You know, whether it's New Japan getting hot or, you know, some indie that catches my attention or or you know, whatever the case may be. And then there's Dragon Gate getting pushed to the back burner again, getting pushed to the third hour of the fucking podcast, getting pushed off the podcast. But then every time I watch, I'm like, man. Dragon Gate fucking rules. It's yeah. never not good. Like <laughs> even downtime Dragon Gate is better than most of the other shit out there at the time. And and I never and it's accessible, but for whatever reason, I I, I always put it on the back burner, and I'm always mad at myself for doing it. Like for for me, it's almost like it's more like it was um, you know, it was this thing I discovered even earlier. So like I discovered it, and like it became my favorite promotion because I was so drawn into these personalities 
But like, you know, Mil- I mean, the time I was watching, you know, you had Milano, you had Mike in Tokyo, you had Shima, like at the peak of his powers, like Mochizuki at his peak, and all these guys, and Susumu, and, you know, all these dudes that drew me in, and Kness. And like, it just kind of became like the lore of it is the best way I can describe it. Like, even when I would go like a period without watching it, I would always go to Jay's site and read the results and want to know what's going on because like it just became this thing where you know i've been it's there's very few promotions where you're watching the same guys for 15 years and it doesn't feel stale but i've been watching all those like a lot of those guys i mentioned shima kanas susumu mochizuki they're still there you know and mochizuki's now the champion so i've been watching i grew up with these people basically for like half my life so you know you just you have a connection to them and then all the other guys they brought along and just all and plus you know the, the units thing i don't know how you feel about stable slash units but i when i broke in like i said earlier was it like at the nwo so like i've always had a soft spot for like stables and you know dragon gates unit system always really appealed to me because it's like okay well there's always units around they're always they always have like a clear theme they're always turning on each other and forming new ones and i've always found that that aspect of it really really exciting you know, pe- people who complain about the units in Dragon Gate and the you know and that the promotion is built around units carry the same credibility to me as people who complain that Big Japan should dump death matches or DDT <laughs> should dump comedy. It's the essence of the promotion. Yeah. You know, if you're not into the units thing, you're not going to be into Dragon Gate. Follow something else. You know, if yeah. if you're not into the death matches in Big Japan, Fast forward to intermission and watch the strong style stuff that comes afterwards. It's what I do, you know, yeah. but you can't expect these promotions to not. This is what gives them their life and their soul. You know, what would Big Japan be without death matches? What would DDT be if it wasn't wacky? What would Dragon Gate be without their units? This is what separates them from each other and gives them their soul and their life and something to sink your teeth into. And you can't change that. It's the same thing when people say, oh, I, you know, I would, I would love Lucha if they didn't do best of three falls and if the, if the falls were, were more meaningful and if they didn't tear masks. Well, you know what? Just don't watch Lucha then. Don't go into their culture and change what they do. You know, that, that's what people love about Lucha. That's what makes Lucha different. That's what makes Lucha great to the people who love Lucha. Just yeah. accept it's not for you, you know? So I'm, I'm, t- I'm with you. The, the uni- I never want that to change. That's I mean, what gives yeah. it flavor and life. It's not always going to, you know, it's going to always be hit or miss, you know, for every, for every blood warriors, you're going to have a deep drunkers and for every, don't you dare pick on deep drunkers. (laughs) You did that on purpose. For every, for every world one, you're going to have Akatsuki. I'm the only person who was a fan of the deep drunkers. No, Michael, Michael, Michael Spears loves them. That's true. Him too. You know what? He's a smart guy. I like Mike. (laughs) Always been a big fan of iron Mike Spears. You know that. So he's a guy with some class. Okay. I love the deep drunkers, but you know, I've always had an affinity for lower mid card shit. Like I'm a big fan of lower mid card tag matches from the mid eighties in WW. I love watching the conquistadors wrestle the young stallions in maple leaf gardens. That's the kind of shit that I watch on the network when everybody else is watching the attitude era. So I like, so that's the deep drunkers appeal to me because they were such scrubs and they were dirty and they were grimy and they were filthy. And they were just, I, I, I that appealed to me. I like the, deep I, w- I wouldn't, I wouldn't have had any problem with, with them, I, I mean, I wouldn't have as much problem with them if they, if this was still like the Toriumon era where you ha- could have multiple heel units at once. But just having that as the heel unit, 
I yeah. think was my biggest problem. Just going, especially going from Real Hazard to that. Not that Real Hazard was anything that great, but like late Real Hazard was you know, just when it was getting interesting with like Susumu and Saito and Kness all going heel. It's like all of a sudden, like, whoop, that's over. And now here's fucking Deep Drunkers. And you know, here's this unit where like Kenichi Rai is like the number one or two guy, which he. That's why never- it's great! Because Hiro Arai is the number one guy. But you need, like, the heel unit needs to have credibility in Dragon Mm -hmm. Gate. Like, that's the problem I have. I hear Like, it it needs to be credible. So, I don't know. I mean, that's, the biggest problem Berserk has had is when they got into this issue now where they don't, they didn't want to put Shingo at the, you know, in the the Dream Gate scene again after he dropped the title at the end of his reign against Yamato because just the fucking fans fucking hated it. They hated it, a title reign. So they really wanted to try you know, something different. And, you know, they didn't want to have to go back to Shingo. So like they, they, they keep trying to find another number two heel, but just, you know, T-Hawk is not the guy and having him is basically the guy in the Dreamgate scene for the, for the, for the, for the heels. It just doesn't work. But I think a voice um, gate episode just broke out here. Yeah. But anyway, but yeah, so, so we, so we're on the same page though for Dragon Gate. Like that's a, one of the things I always loved about it was, and you broke into a great period for units, I think. Yeah. Cause you go from blood generation to like muscle outlaws who I, I always loved. And then you have new hazard who one of my mm-hmm. all time favorite units. So it's a great yep. period. Yep. Um, but yeah, so Dra- Dragon Gate's really cool. We should get into the questions cause we're running out of time and there were a bunch of them, but you know, um, okay. So let's see. I'm just going to go in order. Some of these are very wacky, so I'm warning you ahead of time. Starting right at the top here with Aaron Tabe asking, agree or disagree with the following statement? The history of all hitherto existing society is the history of class struggles. See, a lot of people (laughs) on the outside looking in don't realize that's an inside joke. (laughs) He's a dirty commie pinko, and he wants me to to answer this uh, as such. Uh, Look, I, I, I love Aaron. And uh, obviously, uh, we're not going to give that a straight answer. But uh, I, Aaron, I will join you in the Slack, and I will give the, a detailed answer on that question. Um, <laughs> um, EX Penalty Kick on Twitter wants to know your favorite wrestling video games that are not WWE licensed. I don't know if you would be able to answer this or not. Like, were you st- babe, were there any wrestling games you really played? Oh yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah, oh, I was okay. a big video game guy. I gave up video games probably two or three years ago, so fairly. Oh. But okay. uh, the obvious answer is Fire Pro. Um, you know, I was a, a huge Fire Pro nerd. So um, that's an easy answer for me. And then there was uh, WCW versus the World on the PlayStation 1 um, mm. was a pretty awesome game, too. So those are the two that immediately come to mind. Yeah, I was Fire Pro. And then I also, I, I was really into King of Coliseum when that came yeah. out on PS2, which is like the, it was like a 3D one made by the same people. A lot of people don't like it, but I like, I love that one a lot, too. Um, and then like, like for Arcadia, you had like Saturday Night Slam Masters in the nineties, which is like a, a Capcom one. That was pretty fun. I remember that, but like yeah. a knockoff Hulk Hogan and a knockoff yeah. Road Warrior and a knock. Yeah. I remember that game. Yep. That, was, that was a cool game. Um, okay. So our pal Oat, Oat, Oat here, he's at Oat guy on Twitter. He's going to be a future guest as we just announced. Um, he wants to know what were early online communities you gravitated towards to discover this stuff? So we talked about Pure Rescue Fan. That was a big one for me because there was that whole period where um, the the Pure Rescue Fan, like, do you remember when they had like a, a site for every promotion? Kind of, like they had the New Japan one, 
They had yes. a NOAA one. They had an All Japan one. Mm-hmm. J Site was hosted there for a while. And they all had um, a like gimmicky name. Like yeah. the New Japan one was like Strong Style Spirit, I think. And the All Japan one was like uh, they all had little gimmicky names. I remember there. the Osaka one because I the Osaka one I think was Osaka Hurricane. Something went, like that. Yeah, yeah, and I went all the I, I actually went all the way to Buffalo to see Shima and uh, and Shingo when they came over here with the guy who ran Osaka Hurricane. So and we didn't talk about that. We talked off air a little. I loved Osaka Pro, Pico Osaka yeah. Pro. I love that. And people wouldn't probably think that about me, you know, with all the comedy stuff and whatnot. But I loved Osaka Pro. I loved the little half hour TV show they had around 2011, 2009, between 2009, 2011, I think, before they really fell off a cliff because they haven't made tape in like five years now. I yeah. mean, they're still running shows, believe it or not. Well, it's Gamma. It's Gamma now. It's Gamma, yes. Yeah. And, and they're still running shows with a lot of the original dudes. And it's like, I would love if some of that grimy shit made tape. I mean, there's probably like 60 fans there, but I would love to see it. They're not they're, they're not even running like actual Osaka anymore, I don't think. I think it's like, I remember I looked this up because I was trying to decide if I could make it to one of the shows. And like, it was pretty, it was like pretty far on the outskirts of Osaka, I believe. I'm wondering if they at least have DVDs or something. No, but if you think if they did, someone would have ripped yeah, them off. Yeah, I think so. You know? I, don't think they're, I don't think they're taped. Yeah. But, but yeah, so Pure Rescue Fan was a big one for me. Um, there was that, that one that guy ran that we talked about this before. Like the, uh, the I think on one of the earlier episodes, um, it was uh, with Joe Gagne. I think I talked about it. It was uh, Zach Snyder or something. Not Zach Snyder. Zach, Zach something. I don't. I don't what, know what the fuck was this guy. I, Zach Snyder is a dipshit who makes the fucking terrible movies. No, Zach something. I can't remember his name, but he Zach Arnold. Zach Arnold. Thank you, because he yeah. ran that. He ran that podcast with uh, Mike Sippervivi and yes. Adam Summers before they broke off into their own. So that was another one. I used to go to his site a lot. So I, I don't. I really don't remember what his site was called, but I used to go to it all the time. Um, so those are like, and then obviously Jay's site for for Dragon Gate. So like those are the big ones for me. When I and then the, the pure rescue fan forms and you know just getting into all that stuff. So that was like very um very big from for my fandom. Yeah, I just I lurked at a lot of these places. I you know I met Rich on a message board that wasn't a wrestling specific message board, but it had a wrestling sub forum. So me and Rich go back many years um, to that place. Uh, but but I just lurked at all these other places you're talking about for the most part, and I didn't really I wasn't really part of that scene. I just traded tapes with people and bought tapes and kind of I wasn't really and, and read newsletters. I wasn't really uh, much into the online scene during those days. Um, and and believe it or not, too, the other the other big thing that I was I got a lot of my wrestling fandom from was like from e wrestling. So I mean, which Mike keeps bothering me to do an episode about that nerdy shit. But like e wrestling, you know it was e wrestling was weird. Where like half the people involved would not be wrestling fans at all anymore. They were just they they did not watch it. They didn't have any interest in it. They just liked this weird thing that was based off of it. And half yeah. the ones would be super super hardcore and would watch all sorts of stuff. So I used to get match recommendations and you know, promotion recommendations from people like in, in that all the time. So, um, but yeah, so Jake at double cross King wants to know, do you believe ROH is as much or more responsible than peak WCW for creating diehard pure rescue fans in North America? Probably just not enough volume for that. I would think. 
Well, if you're comparing ROH to WCW, I think because the Japanese wrestlers were brought in as legends and treated with respect and put into main events, as opposed to WCW, where they would bring in guys on excursions like Manabu Nakanishi as as Kurosawa or Yuji Nagata as a young guy. Or look at how about the way they treated the Dragon Gate guys when Shima and Sumo Fuji and all of those guys came over and were just jobbers on TV. So there was a clear class difference in the way that Ring of Honor treated the Japanese as uh, compared to the way WCW did, especially once Russo was in charge of things. So I do think, I think there's no question that some Pearl fans were created thanks to Ring of Honor and bringing in the Noah guys and the Dragon Gate guys. And we didn't talk about it, but New Japan as well. They brought in Liger at a time, you know, when people weren't really using Liger outside yeah, of weekend, WCW. Weekend, weekend of Thunder. I remember. That. Yeah. So they had association. Like yeah. So they had connections with New Japan too until it, until it fell apart because of Dragon Soldier B. Okay. Which by the way, I was there for that too. I love that. I I I was already I like I I love I not that I would love New Japan or anything, but I, you know, um I thought this, I just thought it was fucking hilarious. Like I all these people were so angry and I was just like laughing my ass off about it. But Yeah. And it's like and it's like, you know, and that's what <laughs> so they, they they were you know, so I do think Ring of Honor probably helped some – were the gateway to Pearl for a lot of people. I don't get that sense with WCW. Even um, with well, the collision in Korea, maybe if you go back a little earlier to like the Tatsumi Fujinami flair stuff and things like that. I will say I've heard – not to bring him up again, but Jay, the reason why he originally got into it was because he saw Ultimo Dragon on Nitro. And I think I, I have heard similar stories. People, people were like really into Ultimo Dragon or – Well, surprise, with- surprise. There's a guy they treated well. Yeah. In the book, so, you know, so it was that's, pushed probably, a bit. that's probably why, but yeah. Um, but yeah, so, so it probably, it's very possible. Um, these next two questions relate a little bit. Uh, Kelly, God, I can't remember the fuck. Kelly harass, right? Cause he has a wacky name right now, but he's at comic. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.